When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Palmerbet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight-up screamer! Download our app today and enjoy straight-up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos and same-game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gambler's help, call 1-800-858-858. Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm gonna Yes, good evening. It is time for Extra Time with Ricardo Ball through to 11 o'clock this evening. Hamish Bidwell coming up a little bit later on this hour for Media Watch. We're also going to talk Rugby League with Stephen Gallagher from uh, from Sports Freak. And we will catch up as well with Brendan Nell out of South Africa. Plus Andy Murray, 442 journalist, is going to talk Premier League football with us. And Pete Fairburn. Uh, we're going to call West Island and get his take on everything uh, from sport in Australia. But uh, let's start with Rewind. This is where we recap all the big talking points from the world of sport over the weekend. And it's been a busy old weekend of sport right around the world. Let's start off, though, with a dramatic 48 hours for New Zealand rugby and the All Blacks. Late tries to Scott Barrett and David Havili saw the All Blacks claim a 35-23 win over the box in Joburg. Let's, how, let's hear how this one played out. Popped away for Jordan. Will Jordan gives the pass off and the skipper has scored. Sam Kainson. Boy, a I'm try here. This. Would be what the doctor ordered. Over the top they go. Oh, Savia held up. Now Aaron Smith again, having another crack. He's in. Tokiaho scores for Hendrickson. Willemser. Now the wide pass for Willie LaRue. Here's Latanya Arm. Nice. Oh, he got away from Clark. Oh, he got away and scored. So they couldn't clear it. Here's Willemser. Goes wide for Mapipi. And he's in. Here's Arnie Savia. Pops the pass. Harvey scores! David Harvey! <laughs> yes, boy! Advantage, 23 offside. Oh, he's got a penalty advantage for the All Blacks. And they score! They score, I think it's Scott Barrett. It certainly is. Oh, that wins the game! They deserve the success of the work they have done. Over it goes. There goes the siren. And the All Blacks have silenced the critics. And they've won at Ellis Park. 
Good to see some uh, impartial commentary there from Nisbo towards the end when the last try was scored. Uh, Nisbo, you're supposed to be impartial. What's going on? No, 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 no chance whatsoever. After the game, Ian Foster was asked about his future, and he wasn't sure what would happen. And then late last night, New Zealand Rugby and Mark Robinson held a press conference, which seemed to be for nothing. Uh, the CEO refused to confirm whether Foster will still be in charge uh, for the All Blacks' next schedule outing against the Argies on August 27th. Robbo, immediately after the game, uh, Ian Foster was being interviewed by Jeff Wilson for Sky, and he was asked, do you think you'll be the coach for Argentina? And he said, I don't know. Is it professional for an organisation like yours to leave a coach in limbo like this, where he clearly doesn't know what his future is? Or is that unprofessional? Well, look, we've, we've been having um, conversations right through this time, Jim. So we... we um, we, we, you know, believe we know where we um, where we stand. Um, we've just got to work through that with them. Yeah. Robinson insisted that it would become clearer later this week once everyone had returned to New Zealand, and we will uh, get some reaction on all that shortly from uh, Hamish Bidwell, also Brendan Nell later on out of South Africa. I, I do think there's every chance that Foster knows exactly what's going on, but he wasn't allowed to say anything. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Moving on now, basketball. And the Otago Nuggets, proudly owned, of course, by SENZ, were crowned kings of the National Basketball League after overcoming the Auckland Tuatara 81-73 in Saturday night's grand final. An amazing performance by the Nuggets. The celebrations are about to start. Ball in play. Iuli with the shot. Here it is! There it is! Look at the Otago Nuggets! They storm onto the floor. They are... Your 2022 Sells NBL champions. And for the first time in the history of the Otago Nuggets, they won the 2020 showdown. We know that. But this is their first full-blown, full-season NBL championship. Congratulations to the Otago Nuggets. They're singing. They're dancing. They're hugging. Yeah, quite remarkable. That win came eight years after the franchise folded due to financial issues, and they claimed their first full NBL title, a second trophy for the team in three years. To cricket now, and the Black Caps have missed out on a first whitewash against the Windies in the Caribbean, losing the third and final T20, beaten by eight wickets at Jamaica's Sabina Park. Chasing 146 for victory, the Windies reached their target with an over to spare as stand-in captain Rovman Powell hit Jimmy Neesham for six to seal the win at 150 for two. Ball is swinging the ball away. Where's that ball? That's going to the party stand. And what a way to win the match. Sabina Park is jumping. Powell has won the game for the West Indies by eight wickets with a brutal shot over the American area into the party stand. Brilliant, excellent, superb. The West Indies win by eight wickets. Yes, uh, both sides will now leave Jamaica to go to Barbados, where they're going to play three-match ODI series starting on Thursday. To the NRL, and boy, with everything else going on, uh, this has gone quietly under the radar. That's the New Zealand Warriors winning 42-18 over the Canterbury Bulldogs. Back to the open side. Nice hands. This is Johnson. Beautiful try to Vailia. He goes over to score. Johnson short ball. And there's the try to Ali Katoa. 
Roberts have outscored the Warriors two tries to one in the second half. There's a Johnson through. Oh, Johnson! Wind the clock back. Here's Arce. Oh, one more spiral bomb for good measure. Oh, boy. Hooks back. Oh, for Noah Blank is there! <laughs> First try of the season. Yeah, just three games left in the, uh, for the Warriors this season. Their next is Friday night against the North Queensland Cowboys. I think then they go to Penrith, and then they finish at home against the Titans, who had a big win on the weekend as well. We'll get to more of that a little later on. Finally, we have to touch on the EPL. Manchester United went down 4-0 to Brentford. They sit bottom of the standings. But there was plenty of drama this morning after Tottenham scored a late goal to draw 2 all with Chelsea. And it's finished. Antonio oh. It's only just started. In terms of dugout drama. Been on a short fuse, really, for much of the game. Yeah, Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte um, getting into it after the match. They shook hands, uh, but then, and I'm not sure who did it, but one of them refused to let go of the other's hand. As he, I think Thomas Tuchel refused to let go of Antonio Conte's hand and then accused him of not looking him in the eye when he shook hands and it all kicked off. Both benches cleared, the players got involved and in the end, Conte and Tuchel were both given red cards. Um, so I, And then Tuchel afterwards just got stuck into the referee and suggested that Anthony Taylor should never uh, referee Chelsea again, which was interesting. So no doubt more to come. That is Rewind for another week. When we come back, Hamish Bidwell joins us for Media Watch. It's 13 past eight, and it is uh, the time of the week where we unleash Hamish Bidwell. G'day, Hamish. How you doing? Well, I'm doing better than Gary Neville after the Brentford game. Gee, he was a broken man, wasn't he? He made, he was not happy. He was not a happy man. Um, <laughs> did you see him? Did you see the stoush she got into with um, Jamie Redknapp? Uh, Jamie Carragher. Uh, Redknapp, sorry. Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed that immensely. Yeah, no, it was good. I thought. I thought. I mean, he's bang on though. He's bang on. I think. Uh, was I was I was doing some reading on the stats uh, around it, and it's something like uh, you know since. And the Glazers bought the club. They did something that had never been done before, and it's since been outlawed by the league, where they put the debt on the club. Um, they effectively yeah. mortgaged the club to buy it, and it was a club that had always been debt-free. Um, and they have taken, since they bought it 10 years ago, they've taken £1.5 billion uh, pounds out of it in dividends, and they've put no money in. Yeah, essentially paid nothing for it at any point. No. So, Yeah. Good, no. good business, isn't it? It's very good business. <laughs> very good business. So somebody saw a loophole and took it. Uh, wow. I, I see there's a, there at the moment there's a, there's a bunch of uh, reasonably well-off uh, United fans trying to put a consortium together to buy it off them, but we'll, we'll have to see on that front. Um, but things that have to get pretty uncomfortable for them, for them to sell, I think, and I don't know that they're feeling too much heat, if you like, in Tampa, if you want to excuse the pun. No, I think, was it Hicks and Gillette that they forced out at Liverpool? I think they, they and now the, the John Henry group or whatever they called on them, but I've never seen anything from the Glazers to indicate they're shamed face at all about their contribution or lack of to United. They're just happy to own it and, uh, and treat it as a sort of a, a plaything and, and not put too much time and effort into it. Certainly not money. No, definitely not, definitely not money. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the people that get the heat have been people um, who have been running things on behalf. I mean, I know that the old... Uh, uh, the guy that was running it, whose name escapes me now, um, but um, 
had uh, had people protesting outside his house, um, which must have been quite uncomfortable for his family, I would imagine. So he left. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen uh, one of the Glazer brothers. I think it was Joel was uh, fronted in somewhere in Miami by an English journalist, uh, and he didn't really want to talk. But that, that's about all I've seen. So yeah, I don't know uh, what can be done. I mean, all the talkers basically just don't go to games, don't buy merch, unfollow them on social media, just just basically hit them in the pocket and, and until they leave it, leave it alone. So hard though, it's a way of life. You know, I mean, how can you chop one of your arms off? Like that's just that's not really that terrible. No, it's not. You're right. It is, uh, and you know, there's so many, so many people have said that exact same thing. It's like you know, it's uh, there are people that have been going or whose family have been going. You know, they've passed season tickets down through generations because it takes so long to get one. Um, so like you know, if you give yours up, and then and then they do sell, or well, how long is it going to take you to get it back? So there's a, there's a lot of that as well. Going a bit sort of R2 D two. I mean, I can't really hear you that well, so I've got you back though. I think. Okay, you have. Uh, yeah, and no, I was just saying that there's a lot of uh, a, a lot of generational fans who, you know, you know, in your granddad's will, you get given a season ticket, um, yeah. and you know, you're on a yeah. waiting list for 20 years to get one. Otherwise, so it's not easy to give one away because if the change does happen, then how long is it going to take you to get one back? I mean, I'm not a United fan, never have been. In fact, I, I, I disliked them, but you know, I was in England for uh, wandering around following the Black Caps in 1999, and I. The, you know, the, they were playing England on a test match at Old Trafford up the street. So I went to, you know, the football ground and just stood in awe of it. You know, it's just it's such a citadel of football, such a, um, a a storied venue. And just to be there and wander around it was amazing in itself without even, you know, liking the football club. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there was a, uh, well, I think it was the first, it must have been the Brentford, uh, the Bright, Brighton game, first game of the season. Uh, the protesting fans Basically, made them shut the superstore. They pro- they all went into the superstore and protested, so no one could wow. get in and buy anything. So they had to shut the superstore for the day. I admire that. Like I wasn't a big fan of that thing that happened in Parliament, but I I respect people's right to assemble and voice their, voice their dissatisfaction. So yeah, I would absolutely encourage United fans to do that if I if I were there. Yeah, and well, so who do you follow then? If you're not a United fan. I, I sort of lost track of it because I have to be fair. Like I'm watching the hot highlights of Chelsea and Tottenham at the moment because I, I wasn't a Spark person or a Coliseum sport person, so I haven't watched it for donkeys. So um, I love uh, Wenger's Arsenal. I love the era of Bergkamp, um, Henri. I went to see them once at Highbury, which I was stoked about. Um, Bergkamp scored a typical goal and then sort of laid one on with a beautiful one-two for Lundberg. It was just everything I wanted to see. The era was imperious in the middle. Like That did heaps to me. I love that. Yeah, they were they they were a very good team. They were a very good team. Dominated for for a few years. Uh, broke up broke up the United dominance for a while, didn't they, Hamish? Yeah, then Mourinho came and we sort of had it all over our end, didn't they? And it was sort of got a bit ugly. So, yeah, it's a shame the way that man's tenure ended because he did a lot for football in England. Nothing. Yeah, he did. He did actually. Speaking of uh, shame, how that ended? Did you see? Have you seen how the Chelsea Tottenham game ended with uh, Conte <laughs> well, I'm and just Tuchel? Watching, I'm just watching Tuchel and uh, Conte go chest to chest after a bloody Tottenham goal at the moment. They're off their heads. Just fantastic. Yeah, oh mate, they, it goes again at full time. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Well, I've, I've read about it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. All right. Well, no doubt you can react when it happens. Uh, but I, we should move on. <laughs> we, we, we should move on to the All Blacks, sorry, mate. Yeah, um, as you were saying. Yeah. yeah. They've been playing. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently they've played uh, and they won, which is you know a novel. Um, so so that was good. Um, but I don't know that it's saved Ian Foster's job. But 
I'm just trying. What I'm trying to work out, like you know, we've talked to death about this the situation and what they should have done and what they shouldn't have done. Why the hell are they calling a press conference at five thirty to tell us they're not doing anything yet? Yeah, that was odd. Like I think people are getting a, a, an idea of how into our role. Like they've heard media types like us complain about it, just thought, oh, you whinging pricks. But like they're actually starting to see the ineptitude and the sort of the indecision and just the shambolic nature of everything. Like, if they had a coach lined up, he would be coaching by now. They may, in the coming days, be able to talk someone into it, but I, I don't see them changing. I don't think they've got an appetite to pay out this another lot of staff and hire a, a second lot. Like, I just don't... I think if they had their ducks in a row, the guy would have been gone. And uh, if you're going to call a press conference, then you've got to call it to say that he is going. And if you're not going to do that, then, then don't speak. Like, I just... And, like, you know, the narrative's changed, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, Fozzie was right. He did have a sneaky feeling. The team do love him. They're all behind him. Well, they've had bloody months to be behind him. They haven't shown any inclination of playing for him. They suddenly win one game, having, you know, coughed up a 1,000 in the process. And so he's the greatest coach and we're all behind him. Well, fair income, they can stick that. You know, I just mm. I just think it's just... I'm, I'm, I'm over it, right? Do you know what I mean? Like... I'm, I'm even sick of the sound of my voice talking about it because I just hear myself complaining and saying he's a drop kick and he's a moron. And it just aren't you bored of it? Oh yeah, completely. I, I mean, that's the thing. If they were a half decent organisation, this would have been resolved ages ago. Or actually, if they were a half decent organisation, yep. they wouldn't have been in the situation. No, and they've had ample opportunities to remedy it, and they never have. And as you mentioned, the Robinson press conference yesterday, like I was at the golf club and guys like, you know, he's speaking at five thirty. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Nothing happened. Well, it was just such a letdown. I just, what, I, I can't understand it. And a dear friend of mine works in the comms department there. I don't know how our friendship's going, given that I'm not that keen on NZR. But, you know, I worked, I went to school with him. I worked with him in newspapers. We were bloody good mates. If he's get anything to do with the advice they've been given, then, you know, I feel sad for him because it's bloody awful. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think it was Jim Kayes who said at that press conference, Mark, what is the point of this? I thought it was the best question of the of the press conference, to be honest. <laughs> and what was the point of it? Oh, oh there was I don't you know uh, a bunch of nothing, um, a bunch of platitudes, and you know we wanted to keep everybody informed. Informed about what? You're not doing anything. But, oh, that we're like, making an announcement later in the week. Like, they just continue to undermine them at every turn, don't you think? And I, they're in danger of making in the sort of a, a sympathetic, even heroic figure who's sort of had to put up with an employer that's treated him shabbily and, and a chief executive who sort of never instilled any confidence in his tenure. Like, that's that's how bad they're running it. They're going to make Foster a sympathetic figure when, let's face it, most people want him gone or never wanted him. So, that's yeah, it's an incredible way to mismanage a situation. Yeah, unbelievable, mate, unbelievable. So And it obscures the test match too, right? So they, they played it right. Now, to me, the biggest thing that happened in that test match was the box made some weird selections and weird substitutions. Um, I don't know whether there's uh, a political component to how they pick their team. I mean, there is to a degree, but like they just they dropped guys like Nia Carney, they 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 benched Marks, and then they yanked people after sort of five minutes. Like I don't, they played an expansive game that wasn't what they did in Bombella when they totally dominated the All Blacks. Like that's one that to me South Africa coughed up. I know we meant to all stand in front of the mirror and our All Blacks look a jumper and sort of rub the fern and, and say, well done, boys. But, like, I, I didn't think the All Blacks played that good. I'm, I'm pleased with them that they won. 
but I don't think it proved or changed anything in my mind. No, you're right there. I, I, I've got Brendan Nell coming on the show a bit later on, and that's one of the things I want to talk to him about is because that selection that was made, I mean, it felt like the Springboks really, uh, and to an extent, let the All Blacks off the hook. Yeah, they had an opportunity to bury them and actually take them completely out of almost the, the Rugby World Cup equation, and now they've given them hope. They've maybe even extended the tenure of Ian Foster. Like it's well, maybe that was the plan. Of that result. <laughs> maybe that was the plan. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that guy Marlon Aronson, didn't he get Huntsy Crony to throw a match for a leather jacket? Are, we, are you suggesting that there's something afoot? <laughs> no, I'm not suggesting anything. Well, Hamish. how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, I, you know, Rassie may be saying, look, you know, we uh, we could keep this guy in a job until the tw- end of 2023. Well, we don't, we don't, want, to, we don't want to embarrass him. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what, who I feel most sorry for, though, is the bloke that put 50 grand on the spring box to win at $1.47 this week gone. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's divorced and really unhappy today. Certainly poor. Oh, My word. Yeah, no, that's no. bad news, isn't it? Well that sounded that, that felt like it was a nailed on a nailed on result, to be fair, you know, as as nailed on as it gets, the way the All Blacks have been playing. Going to Alice Park, having to play the box up there, I I couldn't see I couldn't see the All Blacks winning at all. No. And is that why there was a Mike Robinson was speaking, because he she had something to say. It's been a terrible run. This is another ignominious defeat, and he's gone. And then they won, and at least pull it off if he's not going to come out and say that. So yeah, weird. Weird, very strange, mate. Very strange. Hey, something else that came oh, out. Do you think they'll resolve it like in a solid way this week? I mean, I I don't know. I, all joking aside, I I won't be shocked if the status quo remains, but um, largely because I don't think they have anyone who wants to do it, and that remains to be seen. I don't think keeping Foster would be a a wise or a successful option, but it's what I'm assuming is going to happen at this point. Yeah, I, I actually think they're going to make a change. Um, because, right. Well, I, 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 the fact that I've said that everything's going to be announced at 5.30 on Tuesday or whatever it is, um, or whenever it's going to be, that they're going to make an announcement this week would suggest they've got something to announce, mind you. We thought that Sunday too. So, um, But, you know... It just feels like that there is something going on. I mean, Paul Cully did that story. He said, "Look, you know, if Foster doesn't go to South Africa and prove it, uh, prove everyone wrong, then he's he's been told to come home and resign." Um, so that would suggest they have. Sure, had... but Paul, with all due respect to him, he said that he was getting sacked after the Island series, and he didn't. Yeah, well, okay, true, true. But I mean, that would suggest if they're going to go, if you know, if Paul Cully's hearing that uh, from wherever you would suggest somewhere within New Zealand rugby, that they must have a uh, contingency plan. One thing that I know about NZR is they're really good at controlling leaks and there's generally been only one or two journalists that they leak to. I could name them, but I won't. Um, But people who follow rugby will know who I mean. I won't wake up to a a world exclusive. Um, Old mate of mine, Sam Worthington, was at Fox Sports. Mm. We were over for a Bledisloe. He said, come out to a Pub and Sorry Hills were having a Fox Sport Daily Telegraph piss-up, but he, um, Buzz Rossfield and Paul Kendall be there, you'll love it. So I went to that, wake up in the morning to a world exclusive. Greg and Paul had a bloody bug in the All Blacks team room. I don't know, I, I, I know where he got the story from, but bloody ruined my Thursday morning, I can tell you that much. <laughs> I bet it did, man. I bet it did. How was the head? <laughs> well, it wasn't that good. I got a call from Auckland saying, you... Dobie Barson, we sent you over there. They've got a world exclusive. It wasn't even just an exclusive. The Herald had world exclusive. And um, 
it seemed like quite big news, and yeah, it wasn't a story that I had, so that was not a great day of my career, to be fair. Yeah, no, fair, mate, fair. Hey, uh, let, let's move on from the All Blacks. Let's talk uh, uh, Ross Taylor. Boy, this book's fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. I haven't read it yet. I've seen excerpts from that. Um, yeah. Um, so I covered Ross um, when he was not a black cat, so when he was playing for Central District and on the way up, really liked him. And then I was sent to cover the 2012 T20 World Cup in Sri Lanka, and he was captain of that sport, of the Black Caps. And oh, I think New Zealand cricket thought I'd been sent as a hatchet man. We had three cricket writers at our paper, um, Mark Genty, Jonathan Milmar, and myself. And first day we were there, I asked Mike Heston a really run-of-the-mill question um, because I think Michael Clark was the Australian Test captain but not the T20 captain, similar with Graham Smith of South Africa. I think A.B. de Villiers was their captain. I said, do you think New Zealand might ever contemplate having separate white ball and red ball captains? And he said, Ross Taylor is the captain for now. He's the board's choice and we're doing our best to make it work. Now, to me, that was hardly a ringing endorsement of Ross. Mm. I wrote that. Uh, Motil went downhill pretty rapidly and got called all sorts of names by all sorts of people within the Black Caps group. But um, look, at Ross was it was awkward with Ross. Like, I had to sort of interview him during the rest of the tournament. And he was like, where are you getting this? What's it coming? You know, are you trying to kick, get, cost me my job? Things like that. Like, it wasn't my intention. I certainly felt bad for him, but I didn't think his boss was a wholehearted support of him. And uh, they went back there for a test tour a few weeks later and he got the bullet. So, yeah, interesting book. Uh, I saw him more in McGoldrick. I haven't delved any deeper than that yet. But, yeah, um, that thing with the captaincy and that thing with him and McCullum and Heston, it still burns him, clearly. I would have thought it wasn't that big a deal unless that um, this fact that the team enjoyed success subsequently would sort of soften the blow and perhaps there would be a recognition that the right guy was in charge, but it doesn't seem that that's the case. No, I remember when he when it all happened, I was working at Live Sport back uh, which used to be a thing, um, at, with Ian Smith. And Smithy was quite tight. You know, their families are quite tight, from Very, what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when he yeah. flew... I don't know if he flew into Auckland. He flew somewhere anyway, and Smithy drove him home. Might have driven him to Hamilton or something. And that he basically told me then exactly what's in the book now, um, you know, about how it went down. And this, there was a story too, which I, um, about how a group of senior players, led by Brennan McCallum, I think Kyle Mills was part of it, I think Nathan McCallum was part of it, and there was one or two others turned up at Ross's room to announce that, hey, now there's a senior player group and we make decisions together. And he basically, they all voted as a group and just outvoted him on anything that they wanted. Um, and that was when he knew that something was something was really up. So, yeah, it was done very... Well, it was, it was curious to see, like at that, at that T20 World Cup, um, all the players, you know, between overs or what have you, after a wicket, all congregated around McCullum, who was the quick keeper, and Taylor would be stood at Madonna Madoff with the ball, waiting for the game to restart and the bowler to come and take the ball off him. And I remember talking to a very prominent rugby coach about that. And he said, if the players are around McCullum, then McCullum is the leader of that team. And I feel sorry for Taylor, but he's not the leader. And that that was sort of how it went down. Like, mm. I feel bad for him as a person, but that group made a choice, rightly or wrongly, that they backed McCullum. And I think I think history probably showed them to be correct. Yeah, yeah, you're probably not wrong. But it, it, certainly the way that it was done 
uh, wasn't great, and that's what I think has come out of the book. I mean, I hasn't painted McCullum in a great light, um, and you know that thing about him uh, with his mental coach not wanting those emails released that that does make you wonder what's in there, um, and there's a bit made of that. Mike Hessen doesn't come out of it well, uh, and probably the guy that comes out of it worst out of anybody from what I've read so far is David White. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm honestly not gonna make an on the record assertion about David White, but I, I would, I wouldn't be shocked if he was not painted in the good light. But, but equally, like players decide these things a lot. You just ask John Plumtree and Brad Moore. They just got the Archer from the All Blacks because allegedly the players didn't want them, and now the players insisting that Ian Foster remains coach. The players, rightly, wrongly, good bikes, bad bikes, skeletons in the closet or not, they are allowed by organisations to make qualitative important personnel decisions whether they should or shouldn't. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that is true. Yeah, no, I, I, I've never met Dave White. Uh, David White, I've, I've interviewed him um, over the phone, but I have, have had a guy who I respect immensely, who is a very respected New Zealand broadcaster, um, tell me a few things, and he's not a, a particularly big fan. And, and so when I read that, I was like, okay, that's just reinforced a whole bunch of things that, I, that I've that i heard. Um, what about New Zealand cricket then on this? Because it's not just the personal stuff, but Ross has also alluded to, to some, some underlying racial stuff as well. Yeah, so the, the captaincy dynamic and that, that, that happens, that's unfortunate. Uh, anything along the other lines, racial vilification, casual racism, whatever you want, that's unforgivable and unacceptable. And I just, I can't have that in life. I just... I can't believe anyone would willingly, or anyone would know that or turn a blind eye to it. I can't believe that, as Ross has alluded to, that there are players in the squad at the moment who have been guilty of it, and he doesn't want to cast their names around for fear of harming their careers. Like, that's that's just, I just, there are some things I cannot tolerate, and that's just, that is one of them. And uh, if he had to experience that, I'd feel desperately sad for him. He seems a man who's, it's interesting he's done this book. He's got a few things off his chest. Otherwise, he's held a very dignified or maintained a very dignified silence over his career. Um, lesser people wouldn't have. Lesser people probably would have walked away from the team. I still, yeah, I don't know. Like, is he trying to sell books? Is he trying to, like, help change? Is he um, genuinely wanting to help people or is he not? Like, he's having a bob each way on a couple of things, but you can't, you can't be allowed to, to tolerate that within an organisation. I'd be disappointed if New Zealand cricket aren't better than that. I mean, obviously, they've, Murphy Sewers mentioned his experiences as the first Samoan player to play cricket for New Zealand and how he experienced that kind of thing. And, and NZ, NZ Cricket Comms have come out today. It's a different game, and we've addressed those issues, and we've moved on and that kind of thing. I don't think that does much to make Murphy Sewer any happier, and I don't think Ross Taylor's much happier now either. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, I, I think though that this is something that's been brewing for a while. I think he wanted to, he wanted to, you know, have his say and put the record straight um, a while ago, but didn't want to do it while he was still playing because, you know, as he talks about, I, I, can't, I had a conversation with Simon Dool when all this happened, and I said, do you, th- you know, do you think he might just retire? Because I would, if I'm in his shoes, I might just go, you know what, sort off NZ cricket. I can play IPL. I can play CPL. I can go and play county cricket. I can make a living. I don't need to play international cricket. Don't need to play for you. Uh, but he was very much, you know, uh, he talks about Martin Crow a lot and about how they mm. had set targets, and that's what drove him to continue to play. Yeah, I think we have to be grateful for Martin Crow's as well cricket fans because without his influence, um, dead or alive, Martin uh, Ross Taylor wouldn't have 
remained a black cap as long as he did, and he wouldn't have reached the great heights that he did. Like I just, I've such a immense uh, admiration for that guy as a cricketer because he he got the most of what he had. He was a flash player, a lot of shots, a bit loose, and he became you know a great Test match technician, a scorer of you know almost 20 test hundreds, I think it was, the stats done in front of me, but like, you know, like a genuinely world elite player who didn't really look like that as a kid, talented, but, but loose, and he, he became someone, and he should be immensely proud of the career he had. If he had things up along the way that upset him, I'm sorry to hear that, but um, yeah, great cricketer. Great cricketer indeed. And uh, we'll just finish with this. There's actually a text come through from Craig in Christchurch. Uh, Hamish, I'll ask you this question because I think it's a great question. Must be the first time a New Zealand rugby CEO has wanted the All Blacks to be beaten and beaten well. Do you think Mark Robinson wanted, <laughs> wanted that game to finish in, a, in an L for the AVs just to make his job easier? Well, you talk about the punter having 50 grand on it. What is the imposter on? The, a million. Mark Robinson had a bit of money at stake in this one too, didn't he? So, yeah, I don't know. It could be a bit, bit tinged with regret. For, uh, well, I don't know. He might be happy, Robinson. He won't have to pay him out 18 months' salary. He could just sort of and then employ someone else, maybe saving money by keeping Fozzie and maybe the win was actually a, a blessing for the yeah, the bottom line of New Zealand rugby. Yeah, maybe it was. Maybe it was. Good stuff, Hamish. Thanks for coming on again, bud. Always good to chat. Have a good evening, mate. Yeah, you too, eh? Hamish Bidwell there with Media Watch. It is 23 away from nine. It's 19 away from 9 here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through to 11 o'clock. We have been talking, of course, All Blacks, that win against the South Africans. We'll talk more about that with Brendan Nell in the next hour. But here is the All Blacks captain, Sam Kane, talking post-match. Um, how much personal pride um, do you take out of that performance yesterday as the leader to do it at Alice Park um, with all the, the scrutiny around this team? How much personal pride do you use that? Quite a lot, yeah. Um, a massively satisfying win, uh, partly because of you know what's been going on and um, building up to, to this moment, and then the, I mean, playing South Africa at Alice Park um, as a one-off fixture itself is a massive challenge. Yet, um, what we've sort of been through the last month um, in terms of not performing where we want to be, and uh, so yeah, to be able to deliver in a, in a big pressure occasion. Was massively satisfying. You're close with Ian, obviously. Um, how tough is it for you to see the, the criticism and the scrutiny around his job? Yeah, look, you know, it's uh, going on in the background. I think um, amongst the team, we're pretty good at not really trying to engage or, or read too much of what's going on outside. Um, so it's actually a lot easier when we're in camp, just focusing on um, getting better and training each day um, and building up to the weekend. But um, yeah, it's hard when you. You, you know what's going on in camp. You know that it's a happy camp that's working hard, um, and you sort of sometimes feel it's a bit unwarranted. Were you expect to have a say in this sort of process that Mark Robson talked about this morning? An evaluation that's going to go on when you get home? Um, look, we're, we're, we're myself and um, plenty of the leaders are certainly available for for the board or um, anyone who would like to, to seek our opinion. I think we're probably uh, you know, got a better insight than, than most. Uh, <laughs> we've been in here and knowing footy and, and working with him um, day in, day out, so um, yeah, we're always available for comment. Artie said last night, he's my coach. I'm, I'm 100% behind him, be back up those words. Yeah, absolutely. With a, another test match two weeks away now, is it kind of unwanted 
distraction, the will he, won't he be there element to, to this? Yeah, it'd certainly be, it'd prefer if it wasn't, uh, prefer if it wasn't going on. Um, but, like, for the last wee while we've been pretty good at sort of blocking stuff out and, and focusing on what's important and we'll just have to continue doing that. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll get home, but I think we'll only be home for about four or five days before getting back together and preparing to play um, Argentina and we fully expect to, um, you know, carry on with Foz as head coach at this stage. Seem you've got a lot of experienced guys in that pack, but you also had you know two new starting props and debutant off the bench and you know Shannon coming back and everything. How much of a you know how exciting was it to kind of have a bit of a feel of a of with your forward pack of being refreshed and kind of moving moving to another level? Yeah, we talked about the the challenge of the test match, and then for those guys um, to to um, start in that test match, um, you know. Without a doubt, the, the biggest, um, the biggest uh, game they would have had in their, their test careers, and to perform the way they did was was awesome. Like really stoked for those guys. Um, makes for some some pretty healthy competition going forward. Talk about the composure and the, the calmness when Bodie gets yellow, Andre kicks the three, they take the lead. I think Mark mentioned it last night. It felt like that could have been a momentum shift. Just talk to the composure and the calmness of your group. Just to stay in the fight, kick them out, and, and obviously take the lead back. You just did something fly in your pocket. Yeah, it's I a found that. Yeah, I felt it on my finger, actually. It's Thank you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Finally done something. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually playing with it. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah. Far out. Um, about the composure. Yeah, sorry, the yeah. composure of the team. <laughs> so you showed it right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah just... Well. <laughs> True. Uh, Probably yeah. one of the things that I was mo most proud of, and I think that we can be really proud of as a team, of. I believe when you've, you know, on a bit of a win streak or things have been going well and you've been in those positions before and, and come out the other side, um, the belief is strong. And I said last week the belief within the group is, is really good. We've had moments in the last month or so where we've been in similar positions and we haven't come out on the right side of them. Um, so to be able to do that and show that sort of composure and that and that pressure moment with it all on the line was was really pleasing. Um, and. Yeah, just was proud of that effort. You went through obviously a pretty tough period with the Chiefs a year or two ago. Um, were there lessons, you know, people talked about winning becoming a habit, losing becoming a habit. What sort of lessons you guys took out of that kind of experience that you went through? Uh, yeah, it can draw some similarities, I suppose. One being that when we got over our hump um, with the Chiefs, where she went on a, on a run, went all the way to the, the final. Um, it was almost like sort of breaking the shackles a wee bit, um, just some extra weight that you're carrying around on your shoulders, um, and you know that you. It's a sport in general. Anything. Sometimes the harder you try, sometimes the worse you can get, and that's such the, the balancing act of um, when things aren't going right, not trying too hard and overplaying your hand when you want it so badly. Um, so hopefully, like I, I didn't think we we did that last night. We had a, a really good balance, and hopefully. Um, we can, I think it's a, a massive step in the right direction. Last week was too, I mean, so to be able to make so many improvements in sort of in two weeks is pleasing. And the challenge for us will be to, to continue that improvement um, and, and put in a, a good one back home. What were the, sort of the nerves and the emotions like feeling those last few minutes? Obviously on the sidelines at the time, but more difficult being there than being on the field. Yeah, yeah, it's more difficult being there um, than being out on the field, but. Um, I was actually quite um, quite emotional when the 
in the boys the final whistle win. Um, you know, I, I knew how much it meant to me, but it just sort of just all all hit me at once when um, the final whistle went and the the enormity of the occasion and the pressure and the, the fact we got it done. Just um, I think I've said a lot, just a lot of pride and. Um, Occasion for Fletcher to make his debut. Um, just maybe a word on, on what you saw from him out there, and um, we spoke to him afterwards. He was on, on cloud nine. Um, uh, what did you What did you say to him after after that debut? Oh, I said one of the great debuts, mate. <laughs> um, and when we got to present his jersey earlier in the day, um, I said I couldn't think of a better place to, to make your debut. And the fact that his his old man had made the trip all the way around the world to to be there and, and share that moment with him just so special. And um, yeah, you could see they were just absolutely buzzing. Um, it always, always takes you back to sort of, you know, the time that you made your debut, but um, what an occasion. Yeah, what an occasion indeed for Fletcher Newell and his dad, uh, who managed to get over there in time for that test match. And interesting to hear from Sam Kane there, uh, basically backing Fozzie, saying that they expect Fozzie to be the coach when they take on Argentina. So what is this announcement this week going to be from N- uh, NZR? Is it going to be another nothing announcement? Uh, it'll be interesting to see. It feels like they are going to make a change to me, but I could be wrong. Interested to hear your thoughts. Double eight, double three is the temper bed post text machine. Flick us your thoughts through on what you think NZR will announce this week. It is 10 away from nine. It's six away from nine here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. Get the text coming through. Double eight, double three. Who do you think is going to be in charge of the All Blacks come? The Argentinian first test against Argentina in a, what, two weeks' time? Is it going to be Ian Foster? Seems like what Adi Savia said post-match, what Sam Kane said post-match, that the players want Ian Foster to stay, which is interesting. Was there an issue with other staff members? Uh, and are those staff members gone now and is everything rosy? I don't know, it's interesting. Or do you think they are going to make a change? And if so, what do you think that change will look like? Keen to hear from you, Double eight, double three. Double eight double three is the temper bed post text machine. I mean, I'm I'm looking at who's around, who's available. Uh, would they go with Warren Gatlin? I don't think so. Uh, I think you're better off just sticking with Fozzie rather than going with Gats. Um, you know, he's just not really done it at the top level, has he? Um, as an international coach, I mean, he's I think he did win a Six Nations with Wales, but. He's not won a series with the Lions, um, and he certainly has struggled since he came back to New Zealand rugby. Uh, you can see that now with Clayton McMillan in charge of the Chiefs. Um, you know, Dave Rennie's tied up with the Wallabies. Jamie Joseph, Tony Brown, who I like the look of, as uh, potential future all-black coaches, tied up with Japan till the World Cup, at least. I mean, you know, Scott Robertson is the obvious one, but does he want the job at this point, or is Joe Schmidt the answer? Uh, and does he want to be a head coach? So lots of questions, lots of questions to be asked. Uh, keen to hear from you and get your take on what you think will happen. Double eight, double three is the temper bedpost text machine. Nearly nine o'clock, we'll be talking rugby league coming up in the next hour. It's just gone one past nine here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through until 11 o'clock tonight and joining us out of uh, sportsfreak.co.nz Stephen Gallagher who uh, of course writes all the rugby league for them. G'day mate, how are you? Yeah, good thank you Ricardo, how are you? Yeah, good thanks mate good, good. Uh, been a big weekend of footy, big weekend of footy we should talk a couple of off the field uh, matters though um, 
What are you normally doing if you're going into a cubicle with a mate in a pub late at night? Uh, Sword fight? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it would be rude not to. Yeah, potentially, potentially. Let's let, let, yeah. let's let's leave that there. I mean, Callum Pong is strugg- <laughs> struggling with uh, struggling with head knocks to the point that he's ruled himself out for the season. Uh, but he's obviously he's feel he's probably feeling a little bit better uh, apparently by the looks of things. Yeah, you know, one thing I really like about that is just I wish my defend my dad defended me as much as Andre Ponga defends Kalen. It's fantastic, you know. <laughs> Isn't it? it's, it's just what a great relationship to have, you know, father son. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, he's just obviously whatever's going on behind closed uh, toilet doors is um, pretty interesting up in Newcastle, eh? Yeah, yeah, very. Uh, another story rugby league <laughs> didn't need. Um, uh, that's a that's a light note, mate. Of course, on a more sombre note, uh, man, that news about Paul Green is uh, is is terrible, isn't it? Yeah, it's just uh, you know um, he- hearing all the 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 outpouring of grief um, from players and and coaches and and personalities throughout the game, and just the way that they spoke about uh, Paul Green and and uh, I think the thing I, I really appreciated the most was. Uh, Nico Hines post-match uh, press conference uh, after the match, just saying, you know, that um, just just really sort of backing up the whole mental health space and just really sort of driving that home too. And, and you know, Nico's one of those players that's been really open about it going forward as well. So it's just 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 sort of, yeah, you know, I I feel so sorry for for Paul's family and, and his really close friends. And um, you know, I'm, you've had so many thoughts and, and condolences go out their way, but. Um, a really tough time for their family, and um, hopefully they can they can get through it together with uh, support from from everyone around them. Hmm. Yeah, now well said, mate. Well said. Uh, well, let's let's talk some footy then. Um, now we've got those uh, we've got that uh, out of the way. Uh, Thursday night, the Storm sixteen nil over the Panthers. Uh, the Storm coming right at the right time. I know this Panthers team was was undermanned, but the Storm really have been struggling a, a lot this season. Yeah, they have, and I think. Um, Look, look, one thing I sort of want to touch on is just, you know, when Brandon Smith signed that contract with uh, the Roosters, they sort of, you know, he was getting pillaged by fans saying, you know, he might as well go now. But if there's one guy that sort of um, will always wear his heart on his sleeve and, and play hard every single game, no matter what, it's Brandon Smith. And he sort of turned up when they really needed the most against Penrith. And uh, he was just electric in and around the ruck. And he's just, you know, he has a, he has a hectic cheese, that man. Absolutely, he's fantastic to watch. And... And he, him and, and Munster at fullback too sort of really sparked um, a lot of go forwards for, for Melbourne. And uh, yeah, they they looked really good. And I think um, you know with, with the way the Storm are going, we've got the Broncos this week. It's going to be a, a you know pretty good game for them. It's a danger game for the Broncos as well. Yeah, yeah, well, very much a danger game for them, mate. There's uh, the Storm seem to be peaking at the right time, as I said. Uh, Penrith can afford. You know, uh, to to drop a couple because their lead at the top is still six points. I mean, they'd have to lose out, and uh, the Cowboys or the Sharks win out for them to be caught. So I suppose it doesn't matter too much. But you don't want to not be on form and not be used to winning when you get there, right, to the finals. Yeah, and I think look, they've had so much success over the last twenty-four to thirty-six months now that um, winning's almost second nature to them. So they don't really want to go into the final series. In an unfamiliar territory, I know that they've um, they've got a they've got a tough match this weekend against the Rabbitohs. Another Thursday night game for the Panthers, but um, yeah, you know they are three wins ahead of of, sec- of second place. But um, you, you just 
you can't afford to go in and second guessing yourself and having all those sort of frustrations at training because um, it won't do you any good and, and relying on Cleary and Luai to bail you out when you get into the finals isn't going to do them any favours. And none at all. Of course, uh, we had a, a big result for the Warriors on Friday night, mate. 42-18 against the Dogs. A Dogs team who have been in pretty good form under Mick Potter as well. I didn't see this coming. No, I didn't see it coming either. I was actually really surprised because I absolutely trashed the Warriors in my column during the week. So um, <laughs> the la- they, they had the last laugh, which is fantastic. And um, but yeah, they they just played really well. They you know they managed to score points. I couldn't tell you the last time they scored forty against anyone, let alone uh, a team that's been going sort of average as, as as the sort of the Bulldogs have. And they they just they just turned up. They just they stuck in it. You know they. They didn't. Uh, they weren't disheartened when the the Bulldogs started to score a few tries. They uh, they stuck to their guns and and yeah, credit to the Warriors. They they played well. They they turned up. They got the result and they deserved to win by that that margin. It was a, it was a great performance from them. It's probably their best in, in in many a year, I would say. Yeah, I tell you that. Um, Elisa Cartola looks a player, mate. He's one for the future. Yeah, I'm sure he's um, going to really enjoy his time uh, in the last three games for the Warriors before he goes off and wins the Premiership in the next five years with Melbourne. So that'd be great for him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, was, I couldn't, but, like, you know, the, the Warriors over the years have let some very good talent go that has come back to burn them up. It, it just feels like this is another one, and I, and I don't understand why, of all the players they could have cut, they've cut him. Yeah, what he's what's in he is, second, second or third third year in the NRL. He's very raw still. He's got uncapped potential though. Like he's a fantastic player and these are the sorts of players you want to hold on to and harness and, and build a team around and um look I think we saw the exact same thing with Isaiah Papali'i for uh your Eels Ricardo and how fantastic he's been going. We're pretty much staring down the barrel of seeing the exact same things for Kautoa next year with the Melbourne Storm. I believe he could easily be the Delhi in second round of the year in 2023. Yeah, 100%, mate. 100% agree with you. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's a, some of the recruitment and retention is questionable, I suppose. But, I mean, let, let's not be too negative because it is a great win. 42-18, three of those tries in the last 10 minutes. And I've got to say the, uh, the Sean Johnson try was Sean Johnson of old, wasn't it? That was vintage Sean Johnson. Yeah, it was a nice little play, and he just, he just, when he got it, he got it, and you just, you just saw what was going to happen too. And well, one, one person I thought that you know has hasn't really had much of an opportunity, but shined was uh, Dejan Arsi, and uh, he put up his own Burton bomb that uh, ended up leading to uh, I think uh, Adam Penua Blake scoring. But it was just you know he played really well, and, and he complimented Sean Johnson quite well. I thought in the halves. Yeah, and Ed Cossey's sort of bounced back a bit as well because he's had a couple of very poor games, particularly defensively this season. But the last couple of games, he's he's looked like he's a bit more tuned in. Yeah, I think it's four games in a row now where he scored a try, which is you know does wonders for a winger's confidence, absolutely. But um, yeah, he's uh, he's very green. He's, he's still got a lot to learn about the game when I when I see him play. And but um, he's doing the right things on attack, and that's where you sort of build your confidence from as a winger. So. No, good on him. It's fantastic to see him getting over the line and, and have the, the Warriors not chopping and changing their outside backs every couple of weeks. It's been quite nice to see as well. Now, well, the Warriors have got the Cowboys the, and the Panthers um, both away next to the next two games, and then they finish at home with the Titans. How many wins do they get from the last three, do you think? Uh, one, I'd say. It's from probably probably their last game of the, of the season. I don't see... Don't see them beating the Cowboys, uh, especially up in uh, 
in North Queensland and, and Penrith will be a very, very tough ask. Um, I don't see them upsetting them, but uh, look, uh, I think they've got to target the last game of the season, end on a high, and then just look look to flush the season and go from there for next for next year, 2023. Mm. Uh, we also saw Friday night the Rabbitohs hold the Eels to the big donut. I mean, that Eels team is so hard to pick, aren't they? You know, they like they they beat Melbourne, they beat Penrith twice, they beat the Roosters, but they've lost to the Dogs. They've lost that game to nil. I think they lost to the Tigers. Yeah, I, they're just they they frustrate me a lot, Parramatta, because it's just like it's you know they're they're almost like in a in a, a the sort of team I suppose that when they play a really tough opposition, they normally get up for it. When they play for a poor opposition, they drop down to their level. But I think you just credit where credit's due is that they were just well and truly outplayed by. Uh, South Sydney on the weekend, and um, they just didn't have any answers. And look, uh, look, Jacob Arthur is obviously no Mitch Moses, but he he went out there and did what he could. But there was just nothing going. They did no go for. They had no cohesion. Uh, everyone looked a little clunky. Every little play that sort of was pulling off the week before when they beat Penrith didn't didn't pull off for them this week. So. Yeah, they're just they're just one of those sides that I just you know. This is why I don't believe that they can win a premiership this year is because they just don't don't give me enough consistency to see them get on and, and string realistically three to four games together to get to the grand final. Yep, no, as an Eels fan, I'd wholeheartedly agree with you, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but there you go. Uh, I've had this text come through on double eight double three uh, from Gary saying that Muppet George has told Arcee he's not wanted next year, so bugger off. Yeah, I look, um, the, the Warriors front office, office leaves a lot to be desired for me personally, but Dejan Arcee's a, a great talent. But look, they've got about four halves coming next year, the Warriors, so I don't think they're in really any shortage of of halves. Um, and I think Dejan Arce will find a club somewhere and probably go and play really well. Like, you know, he'd fit in somewhere well with, like, the Tigers or a backup for someone like the Bulldogs. I'm sure he'll do a great job. But, um, yeah, Cameron George, uh, he's, a, he's a very outspoken bloke. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, really know what he sort of tries to achieve when he comes and addresses the media every now and again. But, um, look, Dejan Arce's a great player and he deserves to have an NRL contract. And, he deserves to be playing more games for the Warriors this year than he has been, absolutely. Yeah, I quite liked him, what I've seen. He can play centres as well. He can play six, can play one. So, you know, uh, I know they've got Dylan Walker and Luke Metcalf coming, but, you know, they're losing Reese Walsh so and Chanel Harris to Vita. So, mm, yeah, anyway, it's an interesting one. Uh, I actually prefer him in the centres than anywhere else, but we'll, we'll have to see what they do on that front. Uh, the Roosters got up over the Cowboys, 32-18. Um, big loss for the Cowboys, massive win for the Roosters. They've now won five on the trot, and uh, they are streaking into the into the finals. They're going to be hot come finals time, aren't they? Yeah, Trent Robinson is just a great coach, and you know he's sort of been tinkering away all year, and we've seen um, him trying to get get the key players in key positions to perform. And I think, and you know, with five wins in a row now, they've really started to gel. They um, they look really good uh, on attack. They look very solid on defence. They're really tight around the ruck. It's a, hard to score points against the Roosters because they've just got a really good scramble defence as well. And they're going to they're gonna be a really tough side to, to beat uh, come finals time because they've just got that, that X-factor experience. You know, Luke Carey's won three competitions. You know, they've, 
they won back-to-back not that long ago as a club, and, and they're just a really well-balanced side, and they're, they're getting all these key players playing their best football at the right time of year, and that's, you know, if, if I'm Parramatta, I'm sort of looking at that uh, Bondi uh, connection and going, how can these guys keep doing it time and time again to get it right? You know, what can we learn from this sort of thing? They're just a great side to watch the Roosters, and especially when they're playing really hot attacking footy. And, you know, there's one set of six I watched, and it was um, four tackles in, and the only two players that hit the ball up, and it was Tuali'i and Manu, and they were just going bang, bang, and just hitting it up. It was just fantastic to watch. Yeah, superb, mate. They're, they're going well. Uh, I'll tell you who else is going well, and a little bit under the radar. They sit third on the table, but the Sharks, I don't hear anyone talking about the Sharks, but. Uh, under Craig Fitzgibbon, quietly, they're just doing things quite nicely. Yeah, it's almost like the the Des Hasler manly under the radar sorts of thing. Maybe it's now part of the Shire going under the radar. They have just they've just had a great season considering they didn't you know, they haven't really been a threat uh since they won the competition in, in twenty sixteen, their first premiership obviously and oh look, they've just got a really you know, much like the Roosters have got a great balanced side, you know. Mick Hines has come in and done absolutely wonders. His um, his pairing um, with Moylan, even though he's been injured the last couple of weeks, has been fantastic. And just lots of young guys stepping up, like uh, third-generation uh, Cronulla Sharks player, uh, Kay Dykes, um, coming in who's for his second game with his first try. And, and Lockie Miller as well, the former uh, Australian seven star, fitting in on the wing at the moment. And, you know, like the likes of Wade Graham, who... We've seen play representative football and play really well. It's just he's not overplaying his hand. He's just sort of slotted into the side. Dalvinukin's leadership's fantastic for the Sharks. He's just a great side. Yeah, Dalvinukin, I think has um, has been a fa- he'd just about be signing of the season. I think uh, the the change that he's affected on that Cronulla team. I just think they've gone to another level with him there. I think it's just the on and off field professionalism's changed with Finucan and, and what he's brought. Yeah, they probably lacked that a little bit once Gallen retired, and I know Gallen's probably more of a hothead than than Finucane, but it's just the professionalism about that that he brings. You know, like you come from, you know, he's, you know, Finucane's played in grand finals for the Bulldogs. He's played in grand finals for Melbourne Storm. He's just a, a from all accounts, a, a professional on and off the field, and and obviously what he's doing there is is working wonders within the the forward pack and the rest of the players for that Cronulla outfit. Yeah, they had that uh, course. But when they put the Tigers to the sword, 36-12, good to see because they, uh, they've they been defensively reasonably sound, the Sharks, but they haven't really put teams away. And you can see that, like, in their, their points scored, they're about 70 points uh, scored less, about 70 points less than the teams around them in the table. I think of the top five, they're the lowest scorers. So good to see them put uh, the Tigers away and put some points on the board. The Broncos looking pretty good too, uh, putting the Knights away 28-10, although it's pretty easy to look good against the Knights at the moment. Yeah, they had to work for it. That first half was a little bit slow from the Broncos, and then they sort of ended up, um, you know, Corey Oates scored a, a try or two, and they started to sort of pull away right towards the end there. But it looked a little clunky early on, but, um, yeah, New, Newcastle didn't fire a shot. The, the, if really, if, if the Broncos didn't win that, their sort of their season could have almost ended right then and there because they, they've been poor the last couple of weeks. But they... Um, they got the win. They they won comfortably. You know they didn't really have to put too much effort in that second half, but they just need to keep on winning and, and winning's what they're going to do. So it's uh, good good to see them get back into the winners' circle after a rough couple of weeks for them. Yeah, great to see them get back in there, and they uh, they look pretty comfortable on the ladder as well. Currently sitting sixth with twenty eight points. 
Uh, although the Rabbitohs and the Eels both have 28 points as well. The Roosters on 26 at the moment. Uh, the Raiders are just outside the eight. They're the only team that can bother the uh, the eight, and they had a win 24-22 against your Dragons. Uh, not yeah. without its controversy at the end of this match. No, it's quite funny because there's all that controversy uh, around this game five weeks ago when they played at Wynn Stadium, and uh, pretty much the exact same thing happened where uh, a player was held down too long and then the referee just called full-time. So realistically, the the Raiders probably should have won five weeks ago and the Dragons probably should have won uh, last night. But um, either way, they got they got the wins around the wrong way. And, and I think um, the game really for the Raiders was closer than it should have been. Um, they shouldn't have let the, the Dragons get that in that position. Um, maybe it's because Ricky Stewart was at home watching on the couch. Um, <laughs> can't imagine what he's like to watch that game uh, on the couch with. Uh, See, if you miss Stewart, like you're going line. out, aren't you? You're going out for the day. Like, <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd be getting the groceries and be taking a bloody long time. That's for sure. Um, but he, uh, he, he oh, uh, well, you know, I've heard, I've heard rumours that he was actually in the Viking costume down on the ground. So who really knows where Ricky was? Um, but, um, but yeah, it would have been would have been tough ask for him. He's still got a another. 24 hours left in his band or something like that. But anyway, yeah, he'd be... Um, but the Raiders, I don't know if they've they've just probably slipped up too many times this season to try to make a late-season run. They'll, they might end up being tied on the same amount of points as eighth place, but, um, yeah, their points differential's not that great. So but I think they'll end up missing out on the, on the eight. But, um, yeah, you know, they, they got the win in the end. It was a bit ugly, but, you know, they, they got what they needed to out of a, a home game and and uh, took the points away from any other any other sides coming near them. So good on them. And now you're, you're a Dragons fan, as I as I mentioned. Uh, your thoughts yep. on Anthony Griffin? Uh, he's not going to be there next year, is he? Well, someone's going to have to be there because they've made no player signings for 2023, um, and they're losing the likes of Sims. I think Aaron Woods is going to go back. Oh, God, I, they, they just haven't got the recruitment quite right. And I remember it was probably about. 24 weeks ago, Ricardo, when we spoke about the season preview, and you asked me where I sort of saw the the Dragons, and I said ninth, and I think they'll be lucky to finish ninth this year. They've you know they've been up and down, but um, Anthony Griffin, he's he's very much a rebuilder, um, but I haven't seen them rebuild enough, and we haven't really tested our or uh, flexed our muscles in the market. You know, we sort of sort of need to be out there being like barracudas and getting out there and getting stuck in, but we've got you know we haven't signed anyone for next year literally. We've got a lot of young talent, which means in a few years we might be right, but we're going to sort of struggle in 2023. I don't, you know, I don't see uh, Anthony Griffin hanging on for too much longer. But again, where are the coaches going to come from? Who's going to replace him? Is it going to be um, someone like Tuvi or, or Flanagan? And uh, you know, it's hard to know. But um, yeah, I, I'd give him majority of next year. But if nothing changes, then the pressure's definitely on for sure. Brad Arthur's the, the hot rumour, mate. Brad Arthur's the hot rumour. We'll see. Uh, another another bloke who might be under the cosh, I see, is uh, they've been talking on NRL 360 about Des Hasler's job. You just mentioned him. Uh, the Seagulls lost 44-24 to the Titans. Means they can't make the eight now. They're definitely toast. Um, and it's all gone downhill since the Rainbow Jersey controversy. It seems to have affected the dressing room. Yeah, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd hate to sort of uh, be a fly on the wall at, um, at Manly over the last few weeks because they just, and again, like just, just like the Warriors, they rubbish the Titans um, during the week too and they came out and put bloody 40 points on uh, on, on Manly. And I, but it, to be honest, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, Manly just looked flat. Uh, they looked 
Uh, again, they didn't really look like they had a lot of cohesion around them. They looked clunky, you know. But they, you know, they just uh, when they when they were attacking the line, they just sort of looked a little bit lost. I don't know if they're sort of feeling like they they need that injection of uh, Tom Trebojevic from the back and and Ruben Garrett's not providing that for them or or, or whatever. But um, they just didn't look in like they didn't really look like they were ever going to win that game, even after. Uh, the Titans dropped the ball off the initial kickoff, mm. um, and they had prime opportunity in the first 30 seconds of the game. They just never really looked like scoring close to the line, and um, testament to the Titans who who really stood up. And I think that was their fourth win of the season. So um, yeah, it's not looking good for Dez. Um, you'd be silly to get rid of him. He's one of the only coaches around that has actually won multiple premierships. But um, yeah, it's. Don't, don't really know what's happening over over on uh, the northern beaches. No, it's uh, it, it's problematic. I did think, as you mentioned, you know, um, the the ball drop for that uh, from the kickoff uh, from was it Jolliffe, Jermaine Jolliffe, I think that yeah, Jermaine Jolliffe, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was a, a lovely tribute to Ben Hunt doing that. I thought that was that was brilliant. <laughs> you had to go there, didn't you? you know, had at least you did that in a Broncos jersey and not and not a Red Bay jersey. So I'll take that. Yeah, too, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. Um, so. Yeah, the Seagulls get beat. The Titans, uh, that win means that the Tigers are now in the, in the wooden spoon position. Who do you reckon is going to finish there? Yeah, I still I still think that the Titans are going to going to end up being last. But hey, that this this game might spark them, you know. And I think they've they've got um a couple of all, couple of games that they could that they might be able to win. I know that the they've got the, the Titans have got the Dragons this weekend. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's right. Wonderful. So and they got the. <laughs> they got the Dragons number uh, about 10 weeks ago so they could easily do it again and then I know the Tigers play the Roosters and I know um, the Tigers won't be winning that one so yeah it could, could be pressure on the Tigers now three weeks to go Tigers hot seat for Wooden Spoon that, that's that's not really good for that club that's for sure nah it's not actually I, actually, I was talking about the Titans uh, last week was it last week Ben I was talking about the Titans and I looked at their run and I thought well they've got Manly who aren't on a great streak and then I said they've got they've got St George who uh, definitely beatable, and they finished with the Warriors. And who was the other game that they have that I'm trying to remember? Oh, they've got the Knights, who are rubbish as well. So there's every chance they could win out this season, the Titans. Yeah, well, they might go into the next year four in a row, and that would be pretty pretty sensational for them, considering they've only won four games this year. So, um, yeah, danger signs for the Tigers. You know, they got... I think they play, they play the Dragons the following week, which, you know, doesn't bode well for me either, and then... Um, I'm pretty sure they finished the year with the Raiders, and I can't really see them, you know, beating the Raiders. So it could be, could be a tough run for the Tigers, and they might finally secure that wooden spoon instead of finishing ninth. So, I don't know if it's a good thing or not. Um, so just before we let you go, mate, your pick of game of the round next round is it Thursday night the the uh, the Rabbits Panthers or is it the Broncos Storm on Friday night? Where where are you looking for your your match of the round? Yeah, I'm actually um I'm actually sort of thinking about that um that, that Broncos Storm game Friday night to me. Um look Rabbitohs Panthers is is it's gonna be good. Um it's just Thursday nights are too too bloody late for me. But um Broncos I think have a real good chance of beating the Storm. You know, there's sort of there's a lot of similarities in these two teams. I think um, you know, they they're definitely not hundred percent hitting their straps, you know. Storm showed glimpses last week that they've been poor and the Broncos are exactly the same, but um Brisbane uh, always really tough to beat at home, and they've got that prime time, uh, 9:55 New Zealand uh, kickoff time. So, I, I really think that's gonna. We haven't had a Golden Point game for a little while. I'm, I'm tipping Golden Point, and I think uh, an Adam Reynolds field goal will seal the deal. Oh mate, what's that go. paying at the tab? Ooh. 
all over oh, yeah, no. yeah, absolutely. That's juicy. There you go. That'll something that that might get me through Bevana on today. Don't you worry. <laughs> well, good luck. I hope your liver survives, mate. Go well, and uh, thanks for coming on. Hey, no worries, Ricardo. Take it easy. Cheers. Uh, we'll do. There you go. Uh, from sportsfreak.co.nz, Stephen Gallagher, he writes all their rugby league content for them. It is 25 past nine. We're going to head to the, uh, the Republic, catch up with Brendan Nell out of South Africa shortly. It's up past nine here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Ball with you through till 11 o'clock tonight. And uh, on us uh, on the line from the Republic with us now is uh, Brendan Nell. G'day, mate. How are you? Uh, good day, Ricardo. Always good to chat to you guys. Yeah, always good to chat to you, mate. Uh, I got to say, I'm, I I was uh, I, I had a party on the weekend, so I didn't watch the game live. I sort of woke up to the result, which surprised the hell out of me, to be fair, um, and, and quite a few others as well. Uh, did it surprise you, Brendan? Uh, well, yes and no. Um, I think I think we all are sort of wary, and I think I've said this to you before as well. We never really get you know, too complacent, just given the history, uh, you know, between the two sides over the over the last couple of years. And Everest Park's a happy hunting ground for for the All Blacks anyway. I mean, they won there 2013, 2015 as well. So yeah, it, it, if there was a ground that they were going to click, it would be on the hard surface of Everest Park. And uh, yeah, I mean, you've got to give them credit. It was a backs to the wall type type uh, situation, and and they did very well. And, and you know, to me, the box were a bit mediocre. I thought I thought they were a bit anonymous in that first half, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, we can't go 15 all down against the All Blacks and then play catch up rugby. No, you can't. Uh, I mean, you know, I think the the performance was certainly the, the All Blacks were on the front foot a lot more a lot earlier uh, in the match than they, they have been against any, in any of the games against Ireland or against the first test against uh, the Box. I can't help that, but think that. Maybe the uh, Springbok selections did the All Blacks a little bit of a favour. I mean, when you saw that box team and the changes they made, what what was your take? Well, I think the original selection, you know, with Bongi and Nambi in in in, in Malcolm Box going on the bench, is how they normally did. But when when obviously he went out with a with a knocked his knee, you know, to put Joseph Dweber in at the deep end there, um, yeah, there, there's a couple of schools of thought in that. You, you sort of think you, you revert rather to your your best side, and I'm I'm a you know, one of those guys who believes you play your best side against the All Blacks, no matter where you play them or what the game is, and and yeah, I think they're supposed to in that they put a lot of pressure on the youngster, and I mean he he uh, his lineups have never been the best, and you know, Ian Foster said it quite clearly afterwards. They targeted him in the lineup, so I think that was the one one thing that maybe they took a you know, bit of a selection gamble and backfired. The other one was of course Dwayne Tremellan, who hasn't played rugby for two months, and. You know, we all know how good he can be, and he just was off the pace. You could see he was rusty, and you know, when we where the box in in Nelspruit uh, had the upper hand at the breakdown, uh, partly because of marks in that first half. But I mean, it just it, it sort of set the tone for the test. They didn't get the same sort of parity at the breakdown. The All Blacks beat them to the ball. They didn't slow the All Blacks ball down, and then yeah, we were found defensively wanting a couple of times. Saying that, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy to be critical of the box, you know, for losing, but. Um, it was quite a good test match. It was quite an epic test match. I and mean, a couple of those calls went the way of the box. Um, you know, there was a couple of contentious calls here in South Africa that have been debated at the moment. And, ah, yeah, it's those things that's in the past now. You can't really do much about it. But um, it would have been very interesting if some of them went South Africa's way. Yeah, I mean, the, but there was a try that was obviously ruled out that was then 
sort of taken back about 70 metres for an obstruction on Sam Whitelock. Is that the is that the main one for you? Well, that, that, was, that was the one that I think a lot of South Africans are, are, are talking about. Although I didn't think that was a try because um, you know, we were sitting in the line of line of play of, of, of the final pass to of Pimpin. I thought it went a bit forward then. I wouldn't be surprised if we got to that point if it was called back as forward. So, yeah, I mean, those are, those are the type of 50-50. That was a 10-point swing now. I mean, it tends to be in a penalty for the All Blacks and they kicked three points from it. So that was a crucial part of the game. Um, yeah, all that, I mean... Yeah, I suppose it depends where he's sitting. The rest sees it like he sees it. These these decisions go against him. I thought the one he did get wrong was right at the beginning of the game where um, the rip from um, from from uh, Sam Whitelock um, that the Kanye arm went through and scored. And 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 I thought that was he ruled knock on. I saw it as a rip. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's one of those things. It's a fifty-fifty. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not one of those who's, who's on the rest case. I thought it was a tough game. It was a hostile atmosphere. I think it was difficult for the rest, but. Um, yeah, and he was pretty pedantic at times, but yeah, nothing, nothing less than we've seen from officials, you know, at this sort of level over the years. So um, I don't think the ref was the reason the box lost, but I just thought they had a mediocre performance. Yeah, what's been the reaction uh, to the loss, especially now that you've got to get on a plane and go to uh, Australia? Well, I, I think there's, there's there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, the, you've had you had a bunch of the people and some pundits, you know, who are going shooting their mouths off during the week. Um, you know, saying that South Africa's favourites and we, you know, you know, hoping the box would smash the All Blacks given where they were. Um, you know, that was rather naive given the history between the two sides and, you know, how these games have traditionally just been close no matter who's on top. Uh, so, so, you know, th- those guys, are, I suppose, got a bit of ego on their face. Um, there's a bit of apprehension now because obviously there's a lot of debate around selections and, 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 and the referees' decisions, etc. But the, 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 the problem now... Yeah, the box have got now. They've lost a home game. They, the All Blacks have won an away game. Uh, and if you if you have to put it up, given the history of the the competition, the box are far more likely to lose in Australia than um, Argentina are likely to win in New Zealand. So I think the All Blacks are back at an advantage. And probably you know, while Argentina are at the top of the log at the moment, I think the All Blacks are, are, are sitting pretty quite pretty now after that win at the spot. Yeah, they uh, they they probably are. I don't know what you uh, what you made of it, but what did you make of Mark Robinson's uh, press conference to announce absolutely nothing at five thirty on a Sunday? Uh, well, that's one of those things that sort of <laughs> perplexes us. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I, I can understand there's people who want to see Ian Foster go. I can understand there's. Is he doesn't have a lot of fans in New Zealand. Probably he's got a few more after this weekend. I can understand the players have got their backs against the wall. I, I just think this sort of thing needs, you know, you're a year out of the, from the World Cup. You need a decision one way or another. If if you don't feel he's the right guy, then get the new guy in as soon as possible. You know, I mean, there's, there's you know, we're talking probably 10 tests till the World Cup. Uh, you don't give the new guy a lot of options if you do bring him in now. And if you're going to keep Foster, then you must back him to the hilt. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think Ian Foster's a bad man necessarily. I've, I've quite enjoyed dealing with him in the last couple of weeks. Um, but, but saying that, coach lives and dies by his results. And if if you take away the other Spock um, you know, game that they won, you know, you'd, you'd actually say it was quite clear cut case that he probably wouldn't be in the job anymore. So I think just either way, New Zealand rugby needs to take a decision. It's not good uh, to leave the guy in no man's land. It's not good for the players. It's not good for anybody. No, that's that's a hundred percent. It's not good for anybody. I mean, the uh, 
you know, you said that there were guys crowing in, in South Africa about the All Blacks. I, 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 I saw a few, you know, people saying that there's no fear in facing the All Blacks anymore, and I, can, I completely understand that. Um, over here, there was a, a punter who put fifty grand on the All uh, on South Africa to win at a dollar forty seven, um, and uh, the Springboks, <laughs> Springboks were massive favourites. Uh, you can get you get seven dollars on the All Blacks to win thirteen plus. That's that's how much the TAB didn't think the All Blacks were going to win this match, uh, Brennan. And they must have been breathing a sigh of relief when they fell one point short. Um, so I mean, from that point of view, I can totally understand why that was the case. Why you know you had people in South Africa saying, you know rejoicing and saying, well, you know we're going to pump them here. Um, I certainly thought that that was what was going to happen. But where do you think the Springboks are at at the moment? Because I think you've played some fantastic rugby, and even though you lost that test, uh, there were moments of of absolute brilliance there. It is a team that can produce. Yeah, and I think I think if you take away the emotion around uh, you know, some of the some of the, the selections and refing decisions and things like that, and yeah, it was rather naive for some people to, as I say, to go that way. Just given even when the box had been at their lowest ebb, I mean, after that fifty-seven nil, two weeks later they they produced a twenty-five twenty-four loss. So I mean, yeah, the, the teams do get their backs up, and you could see the All Blacks were in a world of hurt and a lot of emotion in that win for them. Uh, yeah, I, I just think you know, if you look at it, take those emotions away. Uh, the Springboks actually played quite quite expensively in this test. They got around the All Blacks on the outside quite a few times. With Kanye Arm, they were disrupted again with a, a backline you know, injury very early on when they lost Jesse Creel, and they had to shift their backline around. And with Kanye Arm being at the wing, uh, he made 134 metres on the night. I mean, he was exceptional by far, the best Springbok player out. Um, and out wide, they actually looked exceptionally good. I, I think where they lost it was the breakdown. And I think their forwards didn't get on top as they should. And, you know, people say Malcolm Marks should have been there, but Malcolm Marks was on the field for 50 minutes. And you know, he only had really one steal, which was the one that left led to uh, Makazole Mapimpi's try. And uh, he didn't have the same impact. So it just shows you how well the All Blacks improved at the breakdown in protecting their own ball. Let's uh, look at, at the other two teams in the comp for a minute, Brennan. Uh, it's kind of hard to know what to take out of that series against Argent- uh, between Argentina and Australia. It was, you know, I, I thought the second test would be a pretty close run affair, but there was a chance Argentina could win it. But I thought Australia had done enough in the first test to maybe mentally get on top. But they got absolutely smashed by 30 points, and now we've got Argentina sitting on top of the uh, standings with with the extra bonus point and, and all points scored. I mean, what do you take out of that? Well, I think, as you say, it's very hard to tell both those sides. I mean, we, we, you watch Argentina and you'll see them beat the likes of France and you know, come to New Zealand and maybe get a win over the All Blacks. And then they'll lose to somebody like Scotland. So they, they, they really blow hot and cold. Australia, the same under Dave Rennie. They've done some great things. But then look absolutely ordinary against England at times, against you know, teams that you'd expect them to beat. So it's, it's very difficult to see where they are. I think Australia probably now... You know, so the one thing that the Springboks will probably take heart of it is that they, they have lost a couple of players. I mean, they're without Quade Cooper. They're without a couple of other guys as well. Michael Hooper's situation is not sorted out. Um, so that if, there is, if there is a chance to beat them, it would be you know now when they're on their down. But saying that, you still South Africa find, conspires to find ways of losing in Australia, even though they dominate the game every year. And, and then it's one of the mysteries of life to us. Um, 
But yeah, I, I don't know. Are they are they good enough to go the long haul and, and win in New Zealand? And, and, and both Australia and Argentina will have to get a win somewhere there to win the championship. And I'm not quite sure they are at this stage. No, I don't think they are either. But uh, they've certainly made life inter- interesting for us, mate. Uh, good stuff. Thanks very much for uh, for coming on, uh, Brendan. It's always good to chat with you, mate. Go well. Put your feet up for a week, and uh, then we can get into it. South Africa, Australia, and in, uh, in what 13 days' time. Yeah, no, thanks. We're always good to chat to you, and, and, and happy 50th, man. I hope it was a good one. Oh, mate, yeah, it was. It was. I, it's, it's a little bit. It's, it's, <laughs> I was a little bit, a little bit dusty on Sunday. It's fair to say. Ah, well, as long as it was a good one. That's those are the ones you don't remember were the better ones. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, mate. Good stuff. Go well, Brendan. Now <laughs> out of the Republic. Uh, make sure you check out his uh, his YouTube channel as well. All the interviews from South African rugby available there. It's uh, Brendan, and it's all E's. B R E N D E N. Nell N E L. Uh, look him up and uh, check out uh, his YouTube channel and follow him on Twitter as well. It is 18 away from 10 here on SENZ. 13 away from 10 here on SENZ and uh, the text machine has been busy. Double eight, double three, double eight, double three. That is the text machine line for the Temper Bed Post text machine. Uh, this one in from Michael Holdsworth. Scott Robertson, if he gets the All Blacks job, his assistant coaches will be Leon McDonald and Jason Holland find out in stuff last uh, found out in stuff last week yeah I had heard that rumor uh, that'd be interesting wouldn't it because if that happens there's three super uh, rugby teams looking for coaches um, and uh, there's not that many coaches going around but might see some of that talent we've lost offshore uh, come home that'll be an interesting one to see what happens with that if that did happen so thanks for your text Michael also this one from Jamie was just talking to Brendan Nell about the South Africans playing the Wallabies. Uh, he said, "Great show, Ricardo. Just looked up the TAB. South Africa are paying three twenty for twelve and under against the Wallabies. They have a far better pack, surely." From Jamie in Wanaka. Thanks for your text, Jamie. Yeah, that, that three twenty unders. That is pretty good money, I think. Um, they'll be interesting to see what the Wallabies look like come that time. We're going to catch up with Pete Fairburn for calling West Island in the next hour, and we'll get his take on the Wallabies, where they're at. I know they are missing a few with injury, but I think there's a couple that are not too far away from coming back, and that should solidify things uh, for that spring box series. But, yeah, we've got a weekend off this weekend, so we can concentrate on our, our NPC, and the All Blacks can concentrate on getting ready to take on the Pumas, who are here for two tests as well, but keep them coming through. Double eight, double three. Who do you think will be All Blacks coach for when the All Blacks take on the Pumas? Who do you think that's going to be? Will it be Ian Foster? Will it be someone else? Keep your texts coming through. Double eight, double three. The temper bedpost text machine. We're eleven away from ten here on SENZ. It is seven away from ten here on SENZ. Extra time coming up in the next hour. Uh, we're going to talk football with. Uh, Andy Murray, who is uh, an English football journalist, writes for 442 magazine, cover off the English Premier League. Uh, we're two rounds into that, well, one game shy of two rounds into that. Of course, Liverpool play Crystal Palace tomorrow morning, so we'll get his take on everything, of what th- uh, what's going on, who is where, and uh, the transfer window still has, believe it or not, 16 days to run, so there's still going to be movement around the place, and he's going to join us on that. We're also here from Pete Fairburn, 
out of Australia. He will give us his take on the sporting landscape. We'll talk Wallabies versus Argentina, and we'll also discuss the NRL and anything else uh, that uh, is... Uh, grabbing his attention over in Australian sport. You can text us as well with your take on uh, the All Blacks. Where do you think they will be come the Pumas? When the Pumas get here, not next weekend, or not this weekend, coming the following, of course. Who is going to be in charge? Who's going to be the coach? Will it be Ian Foster? New Zealand Rugby have said they're going to make another announcement later this week after they called a press conference to announce that they weren't making an announcement. Uh, which was weird. Uh, so, yeah, keen to hear from you, though. Let us know what you think. Who is going to be in charge of the All Blacks come the Pumas? 0800-150-811 or double eight double three is the temper bed post text machine, double eight double three. Of course, we do have this unusual situation this year where, you know, we're not playing home and away against South Africa or Argentina or Australia. All the games, uh, all the series are played in one country. So, uh, you know, we played... Uh, both games against South Africa over there. They play both games against Australia in Australia. We play both games against Argentina here. So it is a little skewed. Um, I don't know if that's a COVID thing or if this going forward is the way it's going to be. Uh, it be interesting to see. But, you know, it could have an impact because you would think that, you know, the All Blacks obviously more likely to beat New Zealand, uh, South Africa in New Zealand than they are in South Africa. It's a pretty tough place to go. And the Argentinians probably fancy the chances against the All Blacks at the moment if they were able to play them in Argentina rather than having to come here to New Zealand to play them. So we'll have to see on that. But keep your texts coming through. Double eight, double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine coming up. Andy Murray talking English Premier League. Got any questions for him? You can fire those through as well on double eight, double three. That is the Temper Bedpost text machine right here on SENZ. It's just gone 10 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Ricardo Paul with you through to 11 o'clock and joining us out of the UK uh, is football journalist Andy Murray. G'day Andy, how you doing? I'm well, Rick. How are you? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Yeah, you, you, I, I understand that you uh, were seconded to, to help uh, run things at the Com Games, mate. How did that all go for you? I don't about run it. Um, but uh, uh, certainly, yeah, I was there as part of uh, what's called the Games News Service. So uh, I was editing uh, things for for journalists, previews, news stories, and predominantly uh, a, a small mountain-sized pile of flash quotes from every uh, every competitor, uh, going through every round of every sports known to man, from athletic to lawn bowls, um, uh, with uh, yeah, uh, editing stuff and uh, making it available for other other kind of proper journalists, I suppose, from uh, from around the world who were there covering it and uh, providing all that content for them. But yeah, it was good fun atmosphere. There was absolutely amazing, like crowds. Uh, Birmingham, I've never seen Birmingham like it, just teeming with people and uh, like everyone was so friendly. It was uh, it was fantastic to be there and um, pretty good games for uh, for your boys as uh, boys and girls as well from uh, from the New Zealand team. Yeah, did all right, mate. Did all right. Uh, have you obviously been exposed to all these other sports? Have you got a new favourite sport now that you that you didn't have beforehand? Uh, I did enjoy the lawn bowls. I've got to be honest. Yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Is, is it rock and roll to say that, that you like the world's least rock and roll, uh, uh, sport? I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was good. Um, I, I weirdly loved the rhythmic gymnastics, uh, in the office. There weren't many positive, uh, 
positive comments about that. Not a sport, ribbons and balls and uh, and and whatever. But I quite enjoyed it. So um, so yeah, I don't know what that says about me, but uh, but yeah, I enjoyed I enjoyed both of those. Well, you had an eye for the artistic flair, of course. That's what that says, Andy. Obviously, it must be, must, must be. be. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I always go back. My grandfather used to play the lawn bowls, and he referred to the bowls club as uh, the Undertaker's holding pin. <laughs> So yeah, something, something like that. We're a few, a few uh, members of the younger generation uh, out there uh, on the on the greens of uh, of Leamington Spa. So, sorry, Royal Leamington Spa. Um, so uh, so so yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, look, they look like good fun, and um, like, I love it when they get the tape measure out, and uh, you know, all the uh, the commentators go wild for uh, for that. So um, so yeah, yeah, I love it. Any game you can comfortably play with a beer in your hand is always good by me. Oh, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah nice, nice. No, it's definitely got younger, uh, the demo of that of that sport in the last 10 years, I think, Andy. But uh, that's all right. I digress. We should be talking about football, mate, because we're, t- we're nearly <laughs> uh, nearly two full rounds into the uh, to the Premier League season. And, uh, boy, yeah, there's some storylines going around, aren't there? Most uh, prominently at the moment, which, which is hurting a lot, is Manchester United, currently 20th. Um, one goal, uh, conceded six, no points, and looking an absolute rebel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, whatever, whatever the word the Germans use for Schadenfreude is what every uh, Premier League fan is feeling right now for uh, uh, for, for Man United being bottom of the league. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it goes from bad to worse. From uh, for, for for them, it. Uh, the Brentford game, especially um, on Saturday, uh, on Saturday evening over here, um, was uh, the first half was just a total capitulation, really. That the kind of the no even semblance of a plan, um, you know, four nil down at half time. Uh, you know, the, the kind of the difference between the two squads was just uh, frightening. You know. Brentford squeezed, pressed, harried, hassled, um, but were also just better at football than uh, than than a very expensively assembled Manchester United squad. Um, and I think that's the kind of the the worrying the worrying thing that that it's not just that United are being outfought; it's just that other teams look much better. You know, I suppose it it, it kind of it's highlighted by the fact that Brentford and uh, and Brighton, the two teams that they've played so far this season. Um, uh, you know, two of the best well set up teams. They've they've got a plan. They've had one in place for a few seasons under their manager. They kind of, uh, you know, they recruit very cannily, um, and it just highlights all of the all of the ills that there are at Manchester United uh, at the minute, and you know, have been for uh, have been for quite some time. The, the squad looks so. Uh, you know, two players here from one from one manager, three here from another. There's there's kind of no coherence uh, coherency for the in the squad how they're playing. It's just uh, they're just a shambles basically. Um, and you know, I guess it starts at the back with with David de Gea, who's probably you know probably their best player last season. Uh, but um, you know, uh, a goalkeeper who is going to be able to play the ball out from from defence, he is not. Um, you know, a fact only compounded by the fact that uh, you know uh, the, the goalkeeper they sent out on loan to Nottingham Forest, Dean Henderson, saved a penalty, uh, kept a clean sheet uh, yesterday as Forest won their first 
uh, game back in the Premier League after uh, 23 years, I think it is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's so much to digest there. But, I mean, recruitment seems to be the biggest issue, doesn't it? And uh, a, a lack of, you know, you talk about a lack of a plan on the field. There seems to be a lack of one off the field because, um, you know, when you go and try and sign a player like Mark Arnautovic, now I don't, personally, as a United fan, I went, why the hell do we want to sign Arnautovic? But if that's the player that you want to sign, then I have to, as a fan, go, okay, I might not see where this is going, but you've got a plan. So you follow through with the plan. You don't go, we're going to go and sign this guy, and then when the fans go, we don't want you to sign that guy, he's rubbish, he's 33, what are you doing? You go, oh, all right, we won't sign him then, because that suggests to me you've got absolutely no plan. Yeah, and you know, United are famous for their kind of uh, sort of fan engagement uh, algorithms that they have on Twitter for uh, what posts do well and uh, uh, and so on. So they're they're obviously listening, but I'm not sure that's how you should be doing. Uh, you, you know, your 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 recruitment. Um, I mean, the, the the plan for for signing players this summer seems seems to just be. Uh, players from the Eredivisie where that uh, Ten Hag has either either managed or liked the look of uh, before. Um, even that applies to Arnautovic because he played uh, under um, Steve McLaren, the the assistant, the United assistant manager, uh, when he was in charge of Twente. Um, you know that was about sort of ten years ago. Um, and um, yeah, it's, you know they, they obviously want to play in the kind of Ajax way, but that it's almost impossible with the with the players that they've got. Definitely with Cristiano Ronaldo up front, we know about that. That was that's a problem that that was there was a, that was you know uh, that was there for Ralf Ranić uh, last last season. You know you can't play a high pressing uh, you know uh, game with Cristiano Ronaldo in your team. So uh, that's a hard base. From from which to from which to start, um, but you know, Sandro um, Martinez, uh, the new uh, the new fight at ten inch centre half, uh, would, you know, is not going to be a bad Premier League player because of his height, his you know lack of height. Um, you know, in at Liverpool or Manchester City, you know, they would find a way to uh, to make that work. You know, him alongside Virgil van Dijk to win all his headers for him is probably going to work a good deal better than, you know, an out-of-form Harry Maguire, uh, who is still sort of struggling to to try and get back to his the best version of himself, you know. Um, so it, it's just, it, it, it's hard. The You know, they have spent money, um, but it just doesn't seem to be for the right players, clubs can see them coming uh, and just add an extra extra naught onto, onto the end of any price tag. Uh, and that's only going to get worse with, the, you know, what are we sort of halfway through August um, uh, and, you know, two weeks left of the transfer window. They'll go into it again, I'm sure, because, uh, you know, they, they, need, they need players. They certainly need a centre forward, but who realistically can they get that is going to, Fit the pattern uh, of what they want to what they want to do. You know, Mario Icardi is a big name. He's available, but is all the baggage that comes with him really what United need right now? Probably not. Mm. Yeah, well, Alvaro Morata is another one that apparently uh, they're looking at, and then there's uh, that kid from Stuttgart as well, who looks like uh, he he might be a more interesting prospect. But 
we'll have to see. I'm not convinced uh, what's going to happen there because Rabio is another one that uh, uh, seems interesting. Probably got to be better than what United have got in the midfield at the moment. And the other one, the story that's just uh, come out uh, this morning, your time, this evening, our time here, is that um, while Scott McTominay remains in the team, uh, Manchester United are now open to selling James Garner. Uh, I don't quite get that. Yeah, that is that, that is a funny one. I mean, you can't deny that McTominay has sort of had his chance to uh, establish himself as a uh, as a regular. Um, I mean, he look McTominay is fine um, for as a as a Premier League uh, midfielder. Whether he's you know the kind of dominating defensive midfielder that Man United fans would expect, probably not. Um, but you know, Ghana, uh, Ghana, very good for Nottingham Forest last season in their uh, promotion, uh, promotion winning side. You know, he's got a great left foot, really, really good set piece delivery. Delivery took all of uh, Forest set pieces um, last season, and you know they they were keen to uh, to take him permanently uh, this summer, or at least uh, at least on loan again. But you know, like I said, they wanted to take a look at him in pre-season. Um, so, I mean. I can only think that they have not been impressed by him. I, I wonder how that would possibly be the case, really, because um, he's a good player. Um, you know, he's young. He's certainly hungry to to do well at Manchester United, and he's surely worth a look at because you know, Donny Van der Beek hasn't really uh, worked for them. McTominay, like I say, is fine, but it hardly sets the world alight. Fred. Um, you can't really trust him, especially in big games, I don't think. Um, and Rabio has hardly, like a big name, but has hardly set the world alight for Juventus in the last couple of years, really. Um, you know, there's a good player in there, don't get me wrong, but um, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I can't really see why you wouldn't at least give Garner a go. So, you know, um, you know, they're, they're, he's obviously been, you know, training with them uh, since the since the start of pre-season. Ten Hag had a look at him, and you know, if he doesn't fancy him, then okay, fair enough, get get rid of him, I suppose. But um, you do wonder, you know, like uh, he he must be surely better than than what we're seeing on what we saw on Saturday and what we saw against Brighton, um, because uh, you know what what was displayed, especially in the in the middle of the park, really wasn't that great at all. No, it wasn't. Uh, so, yeah, once again, rudderless on the field and off it by the looks of things. I mean, uh, mm. Gary Neville's been very, very loud uh, talking about the owners need to sell because they're just not invested. They're not putting any money in. They're not doing anything. They can't run a club uh, in, it by, in any way, shape or form. I know Michael Knighton's on the scene again. Uh, he's talking about a consortium to buy the club. How much pressure is there at the moment in the UK on the Glazers, do you think? And do you think they're aware of it? Um, I don't. I almost don't think it matters if they're aware of it. You know, they'll have been. They can't be any more or less aware of the pressure now than when they first took over. You know, the um, the uh, protests against their ownership have always been there, uh, even when uh, United were, were winning Premier League titles. Um, so uh, I, I I don't I, I don't particularly see that they would be uh, at all bothered uh, about about selling uh, about selling now. Um, I mean, 
you know they have obviously they've loaded the the club with millions perhaps billions now of uh, pounds worth of debt um uh but you know they're only going to sell if they're going to get back the investment and kind of what they what they put into it you know that that's kind of that's the way uh, american ownership uh works you know it's it, they're not doing it for the love of the club that much is uh, that much is clear you know it was a hostile a relatively hostile takeover when it when when it went through so um so so yeah i mean whether Knighton, you know, he's tried to buy the the club, nearly bought it, uh, of course, in the uh, uh, sort of late 80s, early 90s, um, before famously doing kickups in the Old Trafford Centre Circle when it looked like the deal was going to go through, but then uh, but then didn't. Um, so you know, he's obviously a lot closer to a fan than uh, than than the Glazers particularly are, um, but um, you know whoever whatever the consortium that he's fronting is is going to have to have deep pockets and be prepared for some you know short even medium term pain um while while this is while this is sorted out you know it's the the glazers are primarily at fault for this um uh, there's i don't think you can doubt that but um you know they're not solely responsible it's um you know they haven't had a director of football it's been kind of uh you know, it was Ed Woodward who had no real background in football. Now it's Richard Arnold, again, no real background in football. Brilliant at kind of making money, finding new uh, revenue streams to bring into into the com- into the into the club to make it more financially viable than it otherwise would be. Um, but they don't sort of know football in the in the same way as um, uh, perhaps Michael Edwards at, uh, at, at Liverpool, who just seemed to have the magic touch. Uh, of finding the right players for kind of uh, not that much money, you know, most Salah for you know less than forty million is the obviously the standout. Um, but obviously, but they spent big money and it's worked, you know, on Van Dijk, on Allison. Whereas when United have spent big money, it's been on the kind of the next big or, or kind of someone who has been good for like that season or uh, whatever. And they're just paying a high price. When a guy, when someone like Harry Maguire's value is at, is at its highest, and you know that's not worked uh, either. So you know definitely the, the Glazers are primarily to blame for this, but um, there are others uh, at the club um, uh, that uh, you know they they just need it, that kind of overarching sporting director, director of football figure, just to kind of come in and have some kind of plan to implement. Um, uh, and just not have it just the coach. You change the coach, and then all of a sudden you just got this mishmash of players. It's uh, it can't it can't carry on. No, it can't. It can't. Uh, just finally, mate, before I let you go, uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe uh, is he any closer to being part of this consortium? There there was some talk. Possibly, I don't know the uh, the ins and outs of it. Um, like I say, whoever uh, whoever comes in is going to have to spend big um and be prepared to probably lose quite a mu- quite a lot of money um um at the you know while uh, while part of the, the consortium you know um there's uh, he has money obviously there's talk of you know uh six seven billion pounds so um you know that uh that uh, he's, I guess he's got the money, but uh, but yeah, you know, it needs to be 
invested in the in in, in the proper way. Um, you know, Britain's richest man, etc., and so on. But uh, again, if the if the money isn't um, uh, invested properly, then it's just going to be the the same problems over and over again. Um, you know, it needs that uh, it needs that plan to to be in place. I mean, the supporters would probably be far happier um, with uh, with him to with with him at the helm uh, than they would be with the Glazers. I completely understand that. Um, yeah, presumably, wipe, wiping out the debt or at least reducing the debt that they uh, that they owe to banks. Um, but um, uh, but yeah, you know uh, uh, whether it's the right time for him. Uh, I know I'm sure you know fans would would love it to be. So we'll see what happens with with that one. But you've got to persuade the persuade the Glazers to to sell or to you know uh, do, uh, perform a hostile takeover. I don't think United are, are listed on the stock exchange anymore, so that might be tricky to do. Um, uh, so uh, so yeah, that remains. That remains to be seen. He'll certainly have to spend big, even just to take control of the club before he, before even then investing, investing in players and such like. Mm, yeah, indeed, it's going to get messy before it gets cleared up. That's for sure. Andy, thanks for joining so, us, mate. Always good to chat. We'll catch up with you soon, eh? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Rick. Cheers, Andy Murray there from Four Four Two Magazine, amongst others, English football journalist. It is twenty past ten when we come back. Pete Fairburn joins us out of Australia. We are calling West Island, and Pete Fairburn joins us as he always does. G'day, Pete. How you doing, mate? G'day, Ricardo. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay, mate. It feels uh, a little bit back to the futureish uh, this week with with the All Blacks back in winning form and, and the Wallabies having a tough result over there in San Juan. Um, so. I'm not quite as chipper, perhaps, as I was this time last week as, as the All Blacks uh, you know, were staring down a barrel of five straight losses and we were coming off a, a fantastic second half in the first match of the Rugby Championship. It does feel a little bit like normal service resuming. Yeah, well, I mean, I was really surprised. I thought, you know, that, that game last week, uh, you guys were behind several times in that game. And the Argentinians are, you know, they're, they're a decent side and they're always hard to play on their own patch. But 48-17 in the second game, I thought it would be close. I thought maybe they'd, they might sneak a win. Uh, but 48-17, mate, that is an absolute hammering. Uh, the drums Are the drums beating uh, for, for, for Dave Rennie's head at the moment? Uh, look, I don't think so. He's pretty popular over here, and, and people believe in in his long term vision. I did see one article saying, you know, it's not too late for us to try and usurp New Zealand rugby and get in and offer Razor a deal now, but that won't be happening. Um, you know, Dave Rennie's the, the man here, certainly at least through to the Rugby World Cup, and um, you know, I, I think hopefully longer. I think he's, you know, he, he has managed to capture uh, the hearts and minds of the Australian rugby public, and um, certainly the playing group seem to. To really believe in him and his methods, but really, really disappointing result. No point sugarcoating that. And you know, unfortunately, it's a little bit symptomatic of um, of what we've seen from the Wallabies in recent years. Sometimes, where it, you know, it is one big step forward, um, you know, followed by an even bigger one backwards. And look, plenty of mitigating factors here. A number of uh, number of players out injured, and and you know, when you look at the some of the key um, key positions within the team. There's a bit of a lack of cohesion from, from guys having not played a great deal of footy together. You had a, a 9, 10, 12, 13 combination that represented um, you know, three different super rugby teams and hadn't played a lot of football together. And that's obviously going to influence the way they perform. Um, but yeah, at the same time, yeah, the buck stops at the team and, and they'll be really, really disappointed and, and keen to come home and, 
uh, you know, spend two weeks, hopefully, uh, you know, working bloody hard and, and then tend to have a crack at the World Champion Springbok. Well, that's the thing. I did look at that when I saw Nick White named in the starting lineup, particularly given that James O'Connor was at 10. I'm thinking, well, if you're fitting a new 10 in, you want it to be as you know, easy as possible, seamless as possible. And for me, Tate McDermott's a better halfback anyway. So that was a bit of a head scratcher, wasn't it? Well, for me, I think Nick White's been in, in pretty decent form. And, you know, with Michael Hooper uh, back here in Australia on personal reasons, you know, it is a squad that is missing a fair degree of experience. Alan Ala Alatoa uh, flew back for a family bereavement. So in terms of leaders within that group, I, I think you can understand why Dave Rennie wanted to duck Nick White in and have him in the starting lineup. And um, I guess for me, I, I saw that as an opportunity perhaps to start, you know, as we spoke about last week, start with Noah Lolaseo and, and then you have the opportunity to bring on the 9-10 from the Reds together in, in Tate and, and James O'Connor later in the game or, or something like that. Um, I, I think either way, you, you know, you do need to lean into your combinations, people who know each other's games and, um, you know, all those great combinations that we've seen over the years that, you know, Marshall and Merton, um, Gregan and, and Larkin, these are guys who know each other's games inside out. So when you've got, you know, really two nines competing for the starting spot, two tens competing for the starting spot. I would have thought it makes a lot of sense to keep the ones together who, who know each other's games best. But, um, you know, that being said, um, you, you can make the argument that, that, that James had earned the opportunity to have another run at 10. And, um, you know, certainly early in the game, um, you know, he started really, really well and, and he looked to have, um, you know, looked look to have got us off to, to a bit of a lead there um, about 10 minutes in and, and had some slightly suspect officiating. Um, you know, we didn't get the rub of the green and um, yeah, James O'Connor certainly wasn't to blame for the result I think you know, we didn't see him at his absolute best but I, I think we saw enough there to, to say that, that you back him in and give him another crack against the box in a couple of weeks time but yeah, I, I think to your point combinations are, are a critical component um, you know, of, of successful rugby teams it's the cohesion model and the amount of time that you spent playing alongside one each other seems to have a, you know, a, a really integral effect on, on performance you know, as you said, you're missing a few. I mean, I know that um, you're going to be without Quade Cooper for quite some time, probably six months at the least. Um, what about uh, the others? Who else are you missing and how long are they gone for, do you think? How long before you can put the best team back on the paddock? Yeah, there's a bit of the cavalry returning, uh, which is exciting. Uh, you know, we've been extremely unlucky. Uh, Sami Karevi, the other long-term absentee, who will be you know, race against the clock alongside Quade Cooper to get back for that Rugby World Cup next year. But um, Alan Alatoa um, should hopefully return after after missing for personal reasons. Um, Falau Fainga and Dave Perecki, the first uh, the one and two hooker, um, both missed this week with a head knock. Um, Angus Bell, um, you know, in, in my opinion, one of the most exciting um, you know, forward, you know, young forwards coming through in world rugby at the moment. Um, I'm hoping he's not too far away. Scott Seal. Um, you've got Andrew Kellaway, who, who was a revelation last year in his first year of Test Rugby. He should be back for the box as well. Hunter Paisami. So there's plenty there who are coming back. The big question mark at this point in time is we don't know uh, when we're going to see Michael Hooper back in gold again. And, um, you know, universal uh, respect for, for him uh, over these ways for taking himself out of that environment. Um, you know, we, we don't know a lot of the circumstances, and nor do we, do we have to, or nor, you know, do we have any right to know exactly why it is that he didn't didn't feel he was in the right headspace to be able to lead his country and, and represent the Wallabies and, and wanted to come home. But, um, you know, for, for a guy who has been arguably, um, you know, the best Wallaby player for eight or nine out of the last 10 or 11 seasons and um, has led us in, in so many test matches and at a time when Australian rugby has led so heavily on him, 
Um, you know, clearly the support is there for him to, to come back when he's ready. But from a playing perspective, um, you know, he's a massive loss. There's a reason why he's so highly regarded in world rugby as one of the premier um, open, you know, open side flankers in, in world rugby. Um, so hopefully we'll, we will hear in coming days whether he feels like he's up to, to coming back for the Springbok series and, and it'd be great to see him back out there. But as I say, if he's not ready, um, he's got nothing but support. What's the feeling then for the rest of the rugby championship? Two games at home against uh, the the South Africans, and then two games against the All Blacks. Um, I mean, have you had your one win of the rugby championship? Is it does it feel a bit that way, or do you do you rate your chances? No, I don't think it feels that way yet. Look, it's, it's really hard to read at this point in time. You know, you've got four teams to a one win and one loss. And I could ask you the same question if you've had your one win. I think the reality is. Um, you know, we don't have a great um, gauge on the ability of these four teams at this point in time. We're all coming off, um, you know, quite varying, uh, you know, June, July tests. And um, really, it's, it's only the South Africans who won their series, and they were pretty unconvincing against the Welsh. So from that point of view, um, you know, it's a case of, of really uh, waiting to see which players we can get on the park and, and how they go out there. It's, it's really tough to call. Um, one of the major challenges is that we won't play a home test match um, at, at Suncorp Stadium during the rugby championship. Although we lost to the English there um, a few weeks ago, you know, prior to that, it's a long time since Australia were beaten in Brisbane, and we know that certainly the All Blacks hate playing here. Um, so, so that'll be a bit of a loss, um, but we will obviously see the Wallabies in action in, in Sydney and, and down in Melbourne at, at, uh, at Marvel Stadium against the All Blacks, which is exciting. But um, yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a strange one, not having a test here in Brisbane, um, and hopefully uh, that scheduling at the moment. Um, sorry, not in, not in Sydney either, in Adelaide, I should say. Hopefully that scheduling where it is, there's different state governments over here, you know, investing a lot of money to bring these big sporting events to their cities. Hopefully that's not uh, to the detriment of, of banking some important wins. Uh, because really between now and the Rugby World Cup, Australian rugby just needs to see the Wallabies learning how to win and learning how to win consistently and how to back it up. That's the most important thing right now. Yeah, yeah. All right, mate. Uh, let's turn our attention to rugby league. And, uh, man, if there's a sport that can really dominate the headlines with the off-field stuff, it is rugby league. Uh, Kalen Ponga, um, for some reason, with Kurt Mann in a toilet cubicle together. Um, who knows what was going on? Sword fight, maybe? I did see somebody suggest that. With a, uh, <laughs> they, 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 they posted their, their faces over John C. Riley and, and Will Farrell from that, that scene from Step Brothers. Um, but, yeah, I, it doesn't look good, does it? Particularly when Kalen has ruled himself out for the season with head knock problems? Yeah, look, it's not a great look. And for a coach that um, yeah, manages to shoot itself in the foot you know, at fairly regular intervals, uh, yeah, pretty disappointing. Uh, and one of the genuine superstars of the game, I think, um, yeah, people forget sometimes because Kalen Pong is off-Broadway um, in, in Newcastle as opposed to being in that Sydney or Brisbane bubble, um, you know, sometimes people forget just how much of a role model he is and how much he's idolised by, by young fans in particular. There's so many young boys and girls out there running around on a on a footy field, you know, trying to emulate Kalen Ponger. And, and, and he's one of those guys who, um, you know, you don't have to be a, a night supporter to love watching him play. He's got a bit of the Latrell Mitchells about him, a bit of the James Tedesco's. So um, a bit another black eye for the code um, at the moment. You know, you, you take on face value, the explanation you've been given, I guess, because... Uh, you know, who are we to, to say that the idea that he was being sick and Kurt Mann was there 
holding his hair back and rubbing his back and telling him everything was going to be okay isn't exactly what happened. But, um, you know, clearly, and, and, and I'm not making any accusations, but clearly the insinuation is that, that he was up to no good in there with Kurt Mann. And I, I guess, um, you know, is there a broader conversation somewhere around the fact that, that footballers and these young men particularly are, are a microcosm of society? And some of the things that we see... Um, I know you've just celebrated the big 5-0 and I've celebrated the big 3-5. So we're not really nightclub attendees these days, yourself and I, Ricardo. But you know, when you're out and about having a few years, it's not uncommon to see the younger generation uh, you know, heading into cubicles together. And, and you know, it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to guess what they're up to. And this type of thing is happening pretty regularly in society. And we'd be silly to think that, that you know, professional athletes aren't you know, behaving in a similar fashion. You're not wrong, mate. We'll probably park that, I reckon. I reckon everything that needs to be said has been said there. Let's talk about um, something that did happen on the field, and that's the Sea Eagles going down to the Titans. I mean, I, the Titans were, were the top eight team last year, and I've been convinced that Holbrook's a decent coach, and at some point they're going to fire, and boy, they fired on the weekend. And uh, that game, that big win over the Sea Eagles, pretty much means Manly can't make the eight now. Yeah, what an amazing turn of events for the Manly Sea Eagles. You only have to go back, you know, two weeks ago to when, you know, the infamous seven players ruled themselves out of um, availability to, to play for Manly against the Chooks um, as a result of, of Manly releasing that pride jersey, which, um, you know, their, their belief meant that they weren't comfortable wearing that jersey. And ever since then, it's been all downhill for Manly. Um, yeah, and you, 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 you can't help but, but look at that game as a real turning point in their season. The sense of togetherness that's been previously there, um, you know, the sense of belief and, and positivity around that club um, that really under Des Hasler over the last couple of years um, have exceeded expectations of a lot of people. And, uh, you know, you look at them on paper and they don't necessarily blow you away, but they've, they've been a consistently good club for two years. They, they just seem to have completely gone off the boil. And you can't help but think that, that you know, the the attention that they got for that has had a massive role to play there. Um, really disappointing for them. Um, and a little bit disappointing, I think, for just fans of the competition that, you know, we're really down to kind of nine teams competing for those, those eight spots now. And, and I guess the question from my end um, is, is whether there's any word where, uh, where the Parramatta Eels actually drop out of the eight. I think that, you know, mathematically that could still happen and, um, you know, the Canberra Raiders will have a big part to play and whether that could come to fruition. Well, that's the thing. You look at the the teams 7, 8 and 9, which is the Eels on 28, the Roosters on 26 and the Raiders on 24. Those three teams play the Dogs, the Tigers and the Knights this weekend. Um, so they would all be expected to win. That said, the Eels, who have beaten the Panthers twice this season and the Storm and the Roosters, did lose to the Bulldogs last time they played. So... I'm not banking anything on that result. I think there's every chance uh, that the Eels finish outside of the eight, given how unpredictable they are, mate. I mean, they've got the consistency of porridge. They're all over the shop. Yeah, you'd hate to support them. They would not be a fun team to support. They were atrocious on the weekend. Uh, you know, held scoreless. Um, and I want to say that for the second time this year, they've been held scoreless. Um, so I might need to double-check that. They were... They were really, really poor. Um, they don't look like a team who are playing for their coach. There's a lot of speculation that you know Brad Arthur's been there quite a long time and um, has had a really good roster and hasn't been able to do anything significant with them. And there was even talk, you know, going back four or five weeks ago, that he might have to get his way through to a grand final to keep his job. That even you know, losing a prelim, if they got that far, 
might see him out of a job all of a sudden now. Um, yeah, we're genuinely talking about the possibility of them missing the finals. I mean, the Chooks are red hot. They're, they're five in a row. Canberra, we know on their day, Canberra can get it done. And Parramatta looks the least reliable of those three teams right now. Um, to your point, they've already lost to the Bulldogs punts this season. And the Bulldogs have had a bit of a mini resurrection of sorts under Miss Potter. Um, yeah, the way that, that Parramatta played on the weekend, you, you absolutely wouldn't, um, you know, wouldn't guarantee that that's going to be a win for them. No, not at all, mate. Not at all. I mean, I know the Dogs ended up losing on the weekend, but still, they have been all right. And, and Paris seem to have uh, a real uh, blind spot when it comes to smaller teams. Mm-hmm. I think they lost to the Tigers this season as well. Um, and, yet, you know, like I said, I've talked about who they've beaten. So to do that, it just makes no sense whatsoever to me. But um, they, uh, they are a team that feels like, He's being undermined, Brad Arthur, from within. Uh, and a few people closer to the club than me, because um, I am an Eels fan, um, have said Mark O'Neill is the problem. Because I've always looked at that club and thought, who's running retention and recruitment? Because they make some very strange decisions. You know, like giving Gutherson 1.2, 1.1 million to stay a season to stay on, yet letting Reed Marnie and Isaiah Papali'i go, who, you know, fullbacks are, well, Gutho's a good player. It's not getting any young any younger, and you know you can find a decent fullback just about anywhere. But hookers and second rowers that do what those guys do, very hard to find. So some strange decisions being made. And Brad Arthur apparently offered to the Dragons not long ago. Yeah, it's, it's really really odd, and and a lot of people have looked at that that Parramatta roster and kind of said it has to be this year, or you know this is the last year of their premiership window, so to speak. And Right now, they couldn't couldn't be much further away from it, um, you know. And and obviously missing Mitchell Moses massively, um, and young Jake Arthur. You feel for a kid who who's coughing a fair bit, uh, you know. Obviously allegations of nepotism there, or suggestions of nepotism with his old man being the coach, and that wouldn't be an easy position to be in. And you can't help but think it might be, you know, unless you're Ivan Cleary and, and Nathan, you, you might be better going to a different team. But um, yeah. Plenty, plenty of work for Parramatta to do uh, to convince anybody that they are still contenders. That being said, when they turn it on, they they can match it with anyone on their day. So really, from here, we're going to see. You know, I think it's what between the years. Um, you know, what, what's between the years that's going to count for Parramatta from here, and um, maybe they'll make me eat my words. But right now, they look pretty non-threatening, and, and I truly believe they could miss finals. Yeah, well, actually, I, I was just going back to check that Bulldogs score because I remembered it was a one-sided game. 34-4, they lost to the Dogs. I think that was like the when uh, not long after Mick Potter had taken over and it just really kicked them on. Yeah, it's pretty damning, and uh, that might be the one that I thought was, was scoreless for, uh, for Parramatta. So only scoring four points against the Bulldogs team that, that have had, um, yeah, I, I guess for, for a, a lower-ranked team, Defence hasn't been their number one issue, but certainly conceding 34 points against the Bulldogs uh, you know, bucks the trend of what we've seen them putting up most weeks. So, mm. um, and mate, I, I must apologise. I've forgotten that you're a Parramatta fan, so here I am uh, absolutely <laughs> ripping shreds off them. But um, I hope you'll think they can turn it around and get the job done. But as I say, right now, um, they are stinking up the joint. Yeah, they are. And after the Dogs, they have the Broncos in Brisbane and the Storm. Those are the last two games of the season. Yeah, and, and look, to be completely honest, if they lose three games, uh, you know, Cam- Canberra have got to win a couple, that'll go right down to the wire. Yeah, yeah, mate, it's interesting. It is interesting. And now, before we let you go, uh, we uh, should uh, talk about Paul Green as well. I mean, uh, that was a, 
it was a horrible news to get that he had passed away and then to, to find out that he had uh, taken his own life. I've heard some, seen some articles talking about how he just couldn't cope with life away from rugby league. It's just a surprise that a guy at that age gets to that point and there's not a safety net. Yeah, it's um, it's hit a lot of people really hard, this one, Ricardo. Um, really outpouring of emotion and um, you know, people who were close to him, but also people... Um, you know, Brace and Astor had some, some really interesting stuff to say about his, his father famously uh, committed suicide when he was younger. And, um, you know, he said he didn't even really know Paul Green, but he just wished that he'd been able to have a conversation with Paul Green. I, I saw him at Andrew Simon's funeral up in Townsville a couple of months ago. I, I, I didn't know him, didn't, didn't have a conversation, but um, it, it's just really hit people extremely hard. And, and again, has just shown, you know... Um, that, that this beast of an illness uh, can strike even the most um, impressive, the most the most uh, you know wonderful people who, who have achieved so so much and made so many other people happy, but but not necessarily been able to find or retain happiness within themselves. And um, you know, Wayne Bennett came out and said that that it was looking really likely that Paul Green was going to take him up on an offer to join the Dolphins coaching staff next season. Um, you know, he had been linked with. With possible coaching jobs at, at clubs like the the Titans, the Eels, the Dragons, some of these clubs who, uh, you know, there was considered a possibility that they might look to go in a, a new direction, and and he was you know pretty regularly linked with those types of opportunities. So it did seem like there were going to be some good opportunities on the horizon for Paul Green within the game of rugby league, but without being in it at the moment, he was missing that that day-to-day um, involvement in the sport and, and, and that sense of purpose which it gave him. And we know that, that athletes, and, and in, in this case, you know, he's obviously a, a very decorated player as well, but, um, but, but even more well-known for his coaching of recent years, we know that the transition into the next facet of their life is extremely challenging. These are people who um, are used to living in the public eye and they're used to, uh, you know, the... I guess the... You know the the importance of win loss and and getting up for something every week, and that there can be a real void there um, when that's no longer there. But exceptionally sad, um, you know, it, it, mental health here in Australia, and I'm sure in, in New Zealand as well, it's an epidemic, um, and it's really, uh, yeah, it seems to be that in our sporting codes, um, there's an even greater propensity of people taking their own lives and, and men taking their own lives. So. It's been a great conversation starter again. Um, that you, know, you you wish you didn't need to wait for something like this to happen to to have men uh, you know, speaking about their health. But just in the same way that we know that after Shane Warne passed away, we've heard people over here, you know, doctors over here have talked about you know huge increases in the number of number of uh, you know, middle-aged men going and getting themselves checked out for for heart illnesses and, and things like that. Hopefully some good can come from this and, and it's going to encourage more and more people to talk and more and more people to consider, uh, you know, taking steps, I guess, to, to try and deal with, with struggles that they're encountering. But, yeah, exceptionally sad and, um, you know, a great of the NRL, a great of, of multiple clubs in, you know, for, for different things that he did there. And, um, you know, even just watching Jason Camalolo's press conference after the, the Cowboys game on the weekend, it just had... Uh, yeah, that real raw human element to it, but it, it was really hard to watch. And yeah, as, as everyone else has said, I'll, I'll say the same as well. Thoughts go out, um, yeah, to his family and everyone who, who knew and loved Paul Green. Yeah, indeed. Well said, mate. Well said. Go well, Pete. Thanks for coming on, and we'll catch up with you again next week, eh? Good man. Fingers crossed for your reels, mate. Take care.
They're coming up to 11 o'clock here on SENZ Extra Time. Keep your texts coming through. The temper bed post text machine is double eight double three. Interesting one that came through from Gary earlier. It wasn't about uh, the All Blacks. We have been talking about who will be the coach uh, when it comes time for the Argentina test. But he said about the Warriors, uh, about them letting uh, Dejan Arce go, which is interesting for me because I thought he's been a bit of a find this season. Your thoughts? <laughs> It's uh, five away from 11 here on SENZ Extra Time. Uh, coming up after 11 o'clock, we cross to the UK and hear from the Talk Sport team. So uh, no doubt you'll be hearing all about the big game from this morning in the Premier League between Chelsea and Tottenham. Both coaches sent off after the final whistle. Uh, there's going to be more to come from that one, I tell you. We'll be back with Extra Time tomorrow night from 7 o'clock. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.